And as you can see, we got some new colors going on. That's right. It's the red and black attack of the Wolfpack. This is what's down right now. Do you, Vince? Have you got the guts to really show up? I do. Do you? Just think of it. Just think how great you'll feel if you're able to step into the ring and break my jaw, knock me out, snap an arm or a leg, whatever you'd like, Vince. It's no big thing, but it takes guts. That's what it's going to take, Vince. Have you got the guts, Vince? We'll find out. We'll be waiting for you, Vinnie Mac, with open arms. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Zico Pay, what's he doing here? He's unmasking. He's unmasking. Any old way you choose it, it is indeed the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Welcome everybody, my name is Rory McNamara. Thank you for joining me today for Volume 2 of our journey into the time machine for May 1998, all things WCW. So we are the second volume of three for you this month. Volume 1 is our WWF show, looking at Over the Edge 98, where Dude Love and Steve Austin do it all over again. We've got another pay-per-view for you on Volume 3, ECW Wrestlepalooza. But here we are on Volume 2, looking at WCW for May 1998. I have with me Mr. Pete Kimber. Pete, welcome back, sir. Thanks, Rory. Thanks a lot. Good to have me back. Cheers for that. The pleasure is ours. And Bob Colling is here as well. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm well, Rory. Thanks for having me back on. It is fantastic to have you on here. Right, let's get started then, guys. Pete, you have the news headlines. Read them out and I shall flesh them out. Indeed. Eric, leave him. He's not worth it. (laughs) Yes, this is Eric Bischoff uh, channeling for a bit of a rock with one Vince McMahon. Yes, that Vince McMahon. On the Nitro leading into the Slamboree pay-per-view, a rather hyped-up Eric Bischoff grabbed the microphone, walked into the ring, and after not giving an apology to Sean Wartman, because why would he give one, he challenged Vince McMahon to a fight. Yes, at the Slamboree event. Needless to say, (laughs) his challenge fell on deaf ears, although he did actually turn up in full fighting gear at the event itself, which we will get to. But it does show that Eric Bischoff is getting, let's say, a little bit rattled these days. We have a lot more to talk about that as we go in the next two hours. 
them country folks, they have themselves a slamboree. As you would have heard in the intro, Chuck Berry very nearly sang in rock and roll music. Yes, Slamboree was the pay-per-view event for this month, uh, taking place in Worcester, Massachusetts. Again, you might say WWF country. Again, as many WCW shows seem to get these days, it got somewhat mixed reviews. So we will break it down for you very shortly. But two big matches. Uh, Brett the Hitman Hart eventually defeated Randy Savage after Roddy Piper made up his mind. And the tag team titles changed hands in our main event as the team of Giants of the NWO and Sting, not of the NWO, don't worry, we'll get there, defeated the Outsiders in which Scott Hall turned heel on Kevin Nash to leave the NWO and join the NWO. Believe me, it does all make sense, I think. The NWO, beaten black and red. Yes, there you go. Indeed, I will try to break this one down for you best I can. There are now officially two New World Orders. I assume both trying to take over WCW. We have the traditional group known as NWO Hollywood these days, led by the omnipotent one, Mr. Hogan, and his bad carrier there, Mr. Disciple. I believe Bret Hart is still a member. Scott Hall has joined them. The Giants has joined them. Brian Adams has joined them. And then we have the new team who are now officially called the Wolfpack, who seem to be the baby faces in this whole deal, led by Kevin Nash with Randy Savage by his side. Conan's there too, but never mind. Kurt Hennig has also joined, and at the end of the month we were left on a cliffhanger as to whether or not Sting would join the group. A lot more on that to come throughout this show. Full marks for Engels. Yes, that one sounded much better written down. Uh, Janie Engel, a, a long-time secretary of Eric Bischoff, it looked as though she was going to jump ship and join with WWF. And if you read your sheets that took, uh, which went out in the third week of the month, it looked for all the world as though that was going to happen. But she eventually stayed put with World Championship Wrestling. I have no idea why. It might have been a pay rise if you want to call me the cynical type. But it was very important that Eric Bischoff kept hold of her because for two reasons, really. One, she is seen as instrumental in being able, being able to give a full breakdown of what happened with the old National Hall thing. Because, yes, that, that lawsuit is still going on. Now, it seems like we've been talking about that ever since the NWO form. But, yes, that's still, still occurring. And secondly, being Eric Bischoff's right-hand woman, it is alleged that she, let's say, knows where the bodies are buried. So she was a very, very important keep for WCW. In his own inimitable style, Jim Ross responded on the, uh, on the hotline by wondering aloud how the Nitro girls got their job. I'll leave you to fill in the blanks on that one. <laughs> Same Warrior Time, new Warrior Channel. That's the way it looks like it for all the world. Warrior, as it appears he is going to be known, using his shinning. Do you want to get sued? We'll be joining World Championship Wrestling. There are very few details on the contract itself, but then the boy is from parts unknown. As it stands, he could be debuting as soon as early June. It all really depends on what the ratings are for the first Nitro and Raw of the of the month when we kick that off on the first. However, they're looking to hold him off to late July, early August. The word on the street is that Mr. T. Belair Esquire had a role in this one. Yes, I'm as shocked as you are because he wants to get his win back. Probably the only person in the world who really cares about that. And we will find out if he gets his wish or not. And in keeping with Locker Room Harmony, there are also talks to bring in Sid. Warrior and Sid in the same dressing room. Just the calm demeanour which WCW needs right now. I'm sure you'll agree. Ric Flair, the 100-year man. Not a reference to his age. I'm not that cruel. This is, (laughs) bizarrely enough, I'm sure all of our subscribers 
uh, to this podcast regularly read Time magazine. <laughs> and uh, there's a feature in there for you can cast a vote online for your man of the century. And up until last week, Ric Flair was leading the vote. <laughs> also, it should be known that Raven was in sixth place. So there you go. <laughs> 40,000 votes by the end of this month have now been discounted. So Ric Flair is only in eighth place. Rumours that all 40,000 of the vote of those votes can be traced back to the IP address owned by a D. Meltzer Esquire cannot be confirmed or denied at this time. <laughs> Speaking of subscriptions, uh, we are available for you on patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS. For the princely sum of just $5 a month, you can help keep this site on the road give your appreciation, your approval for what we do for you each and every month for every single promotion. Quickly give you the ratings. Not that there's too much to actually talk about here, because much like last May, it's not really a fair comparison between Raw and Nitro, because we've had the NBA playoffs. They haven't really been going head-to-head. We've had Nitros going up after midnight over the last few weeks. But once we do actually have, and I'll give them to you now, on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the 4th of May, it's listed as a very clear win for Raw by 5.5 to 3.5. Regardless of the circumstances, that's got to be a worry. It's been reported as a dead heat on the 11th, which is a 4.3 and a 4.3. The one-hour Nitro on the 18th doesn't even count. Raw did an effectively unopposed 5.3 on that one. And we just in time managed to get the Memorial Day ratings, which again is a tie, 4.2, 4.2. So it's fair to say things are really, really Hotting up. We kick off the month with two hours at the home of the main event 1988, Marcus Square Arena, Indianapolis. Tony confirms the NWO have split into two groups, the Wolfpack and the Hogan camp. We are exclusively told that Brian Adams has sided with Hogan. Yeah, me too. After two recaps of Conan joining last week, here's the Guerrero family. Eddie tells us he is our favourite wrestler, which works for me. He challenges Scott Norton to take his finger out of his mouth to face him, and the match is on. For about three seconds after Eddie injures his knee. He then throws Chavo in as his replacement, and the devastating shoulder breaker wins it for Norton. The Wolf Pack, in red and black shirts, come down through the crowd. They are running the show now. And Hogan, get your crew... We will rendezvous. Savage tells Brett he will get screwed out of everything he has. And now, here comes a new member. Kurt Hennig. Adams isn't happy, but who cares. Nash challenges Luger for later. Jericho and Picture are here. He plays clips of Dean dedicating his career to his late dad. Jericho calls him a disgrace and his career a joke. He then brings out Bore Us Malenko. Mock match here, but Jericho is as entertaining as ever. And he wins with the nine-timer. Hugh Morrison Barbarian against Public Enemy is exactly how you would expect, with the exception of the finish, which sees Grunge pinning um, Jimmy Hart for the win. It's best not to ask questions, I think. Gene talks to Brian Adams. We all need to recognise him. Yeah, mate, that's the problem. He cuts the usual Hulk rules the world promo and accepts Conan's challenge. Hammer and Saturn have a loser leaves the flock match. The implication is that Raven doesn't want Hammer to win. Makes sense to me. The ref gets bumped and then a vendor attacks both men with a drinks tray and a chair. Okay. Hammer falls on top of Saturn for the win. We see the flock backstage, but DDB attacks them with a ball rope. 
He then yanks Raven to the ring and hangs him with it. Sick Boy versus Hoovy is an interesting one. Hoovy legit slips on the ring going for the driver, which is a shame. Uh, Horace is in for the DQ, and then Goldberg makes the save and gives Reese a jackhammer. Oakland natters to Rick Steiner. He calls out Scott. Let's finish this one once and for all. Scott heads out on crutches, but Rick ain't buying it. Scott shows sorrow and tears over what has happened. The NWO doesn't mean anything to me. I want to be a Steiner brother again. Rick very, very reluctantly agrees, and he hugs. But of course, it's a trap. Adams, yes him again, attacks from behind as Scott cheers him on. The crowd were dead for that because they knew what was coming. And here's Adams once more versus Conan. Adams hits the worst pile driver of all time to finish this disaster. Brett attacks Conan. Nash then beats on Adams. Ugh, horrible, horrible, horrible. Booker defends the TV title versus Fit Finley. Benoit causes a distraction, allowing Finley to hit the tombstone out of nowhere to win the title. Clean as a sheet. Nobody saw that coming. Nash v Luger is indeed our main event. Big Wolfpack chance here, so something's working. The match ends via Wolfpack Fearance. Sting and the Giant show up and they trade blows with the black and red. Brett and Adams watch on with delight. Yeah, needs more Brian Adams, I think. On to the 11th of May, and this is Kansas Toto. We know this because we are back to three hours. Gene brings out Brett for an interview. Randy Savage is nothing but a big chicken. Burn. Macho's worst nightmare has come true. And at the Slambury, Brett will prove he is the best there is, the best... Ah, you know it. Barry Horowitz, with no Hava Nagila playing this time, is in there with Disco. The swinging neckbreaker gets it done because the chart buster is too similar to the... St the apocalypse. Here's Savage. If Brett can't get the sharpshooter on next week, he will die trying. Tonight, though, Macho is up for a challenge. Shock of shocks, he picks Hogan. He calls him a bold-headed reject from the glue factory. Kidman and Hoovy is a lot of fun and they bust out some big moves. Sadly, the match ends after Reese hits one, followed by the seven-year itch. Uh, Reese then carries Hoovy to the back. Bischoff emerges on some kind of motorcycle motorbike, thanks Tony, and boy does he have a lot on his mind. He's concerned about what Vince McMahon must be thinking. Two weeks ago, he sent his wannabes, but he knew Eric wouldn't be there. And here's the apology for Sean Walkman. Bite me. Well, there you go. Now Bischoff is going to the top. Slamboree is in Worcester, Massachusetts. So Vince, you show up there, and it'll be me and you in the ring. I'm going to knock you out. Why do I think he actually believes this? Yuji Nagata versus Scott Norton is over almost before it begins, and once again it's the devastating shoulder breaker that does it. While you're all watching Raw, I am watching Hugh Morris beat Jim Powers. As Mr. Lacey would say, at least it was short. Wolfpack in the house. Nash says there is only one NWO, and that's the boys wearing the black and red. That actually got a few boos. He demands that Hogan comes out tonight that say from now on, it is Nash's world order. Oh yes, I'm sure that will happen. Hour 2 starts with Dragon versus Johnny Swinger. Swinger? I think there are websites for that sort of thing. Dragon Sleeper gets the victory. Charvo is in for the handshake, but Eddie stops him. But Charvo then shoves him down to a big pop. Nice moment there. For some reason, Bloody Dusty is out now. I think he is on the side of the wolf pack, but who really knows? For some reason, it is he who tells us that Hall has personal problems, but will show up at the pay-per-view. Oh, and Savage needs to stop bitching. And Nash will be in Hogan's ugly mug. 
Pass. Goldberg is a bit easier to understand. He's against somebody called Len Ditton, who sounds like the third harmony vocalist in a 50s gospel vocal group. Count along with us. JJ is here. He doesn't like Raven at all, but he does think he have a case to read a pattern of violence against him. And as such, this could all be construed as an unsafe working environment. Raven will now be protected by riot control officers, and they surround him right away. The flock beat up Hammer. It took them this long. And then we are straight into Saturn versus Jerry Flynn, and Perry wins it with ease. Finley defends his newly won TV belt v Rage. Booker actually stops Chaos interfering so Fit can hit the tombstone. Benoit then brawls with Booker, of course. JJ has had enough of that, and he makes a number one contender match for later between Benoit and Booker. DDP against Lenny Lane. Diamond Ketter off the top gets this one done. That move is mega over, and rightly so. He gets on the mic and calls Raven Lawyer Boy, and he wants him right now. But he will have to wait for the Bowery death match at Slambury. Hogan and Bag Carriers start off Hour 3. My brand new movie, Three Ninjas, is in the theatre near you, and a new Assault in Devil's Island is coming soon. Thanks for the warning. And tonight he will beat Savage for the title one more time. He calls out Nash and he gets him. He has a surprise for him though, in the shape of a big gun, who turns out to be the giant in an NWO black and white shirt, back with them with no explanation. He chokeslams Nash and brings out the spray paint. Chris Jericho is here, smiley face. He calls himself the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller and will retire with the Cruiserweight belt. JJ interferes to say that talk of retirement is a bit premature because a match has been signed for Slambury. A 15-man cruiserweight battle royal with the winner facing Jericho later that night. The Lionheart likes those odds. Joe Malenko comes out to remonstrate at the defaced picture of Dean and he gets beaten down. Next match is Sick Boy versus Glacier. Chronic Kick puts the boy down but there's no ref. Saturn then in with a kick of his own. That also only gets two, despite the bell ringing. WCW. Another cryonic kick takes the wing. Luger's only real role these days is to give his opinions on the Steiners feud. He at least manages to tie it in with wanting a match with Scott or Adams next week. So as promised, here is Benoit B. Booker and it's some high quality TV action. Benoit gets the win and the title shot with the crossface. Michael Buffer calls tonight the greatest WCW Monday night ever. <laughs> and they say he doesn't know what he's talking about. So it is indeed Hogan and Savage for the title. It's a match in slow motion in a vat of treacle, as booked by Jeffrey Boycott. Macho takes a belt shot in the back from Brett, and that gives Terry the cheap three, which the camera misses. Piper is out to call Savage the winner by DQ, and then to be the guest ref for Brett and Savage at the pay-per-view. Giant takes Hogan's side, while Sting looks on from the rafters. So Vince McMahon, this is for you. I'm coming to your backyard this Sunday. That's right, where's some ass? Got a little pay-per-view thing going on. And I got a hell of an idea. Just a hell of an idea. You want me? I'm going to be in your backyard. Consider this an open invitation, Vince McMahon. You show up at Slamboree. It'll be me and you, McMahon, in the ring. Well, he's got me with that one. I buy a ticket. How about it, Vinny? But I want to warn you people right now. If you think Vince McMahon 
has got the guts to show up, don't buy this pay-per-view because I guarantee you he is not man enough to step into the ring with moi. But I'll be there, Vinnie Mac. I'll be waiting for you. And I'm going to knock you out. See you there. And we come out of our first TV reports. We've got two big things to discuss, but they occur all throughout the month, really, before and after the pay-per-view. So we'll do that in one big lump for you after we have broken down this event, Slamboree 1998. Complete with its instrumental intro. Bob, you have the results there. Tell us what happened at this event. I sure do. Uh, WCW television champion Fit Finley retained over Chris Benoit. Lex Luger defeated Brian Adams. Cyclope won a battle royal to determine the number one contender for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship by last eliminating Juventud Guerrero. Dean Malenko won the WCW Cruiserweight Championship from Chris Jericho. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Raven in a Bowery death match, which took place inside of a steel cage. Eddie Guerrero defeated Ultimo Dragon. WCW United States champion Goldberg retained over Saturn. Bret Hart defeated Randy Savage. However, that would be later reversed on Nitro due to Roddy Piper being the special guest referee, which I'm sure we'll get into. And then Sting and the Giant won the WCW World Tag Team Championships from Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Thank you, Bob. Pete, your opening thoughts on Slamboree 98. Yeah, I think I've been in a few times with WCW pay-per-views, a few a few highs, a few lows, a few in the middles, really. It was a bit of a, an up-and-down show throughout. Obviously, some interesting plot twists and some some things have happened that you've already sort of discussed in the news and obviously previously, so I'm good to get stuck into them. But, yeah, I think it was just one of those shows. You could It was probably an easy miss in some ways, but I think they're a little bit lost in the shuffle with the the NWO sort of split and faction going on in the background. And obviously Hulk wasn't there, although, you know, wink, wink, he was at the end. But, um, yeah, I think we'll get into it. It's, it's one of those sort of in-the-middle-road shows for me. Yes, it wasn't really worth Hogan getting out of bed, bed for. Storyline <laughs> advancement aside. Uh, your thought, your early thoughts, Bob? Uh, the show kind of felt like a special Nitro to me for the most part. Um, kind of heavy on the angles and whatnot, not anything really being blown off. For the most part, and as uh, you know, as we get through it here, I'll just probably say it numerous times, but it just felt like a show that just really didn't get out of first gear on many different levels for me. 
I actually enjoyed this a lot more than Spring Stampede. Despite it being a very similar show in very many ways, I awarded that show a mere 3.5. And that without wanting to show my hand too early, I'll be giving this a lot more. That is not to say it was not without the WCW flaws, all of which are contained in the last 45 minutes of our two main events, in which you have admittedly big names, but who are undeniably all past their best, whatever their best ever was in so many cases, lumbering around the ring in two-star, if you want to be generous, matches, while the crowd sit on their hands waiting for the plot points to develop after 10 minutes and to see who's going to turn on who. That's not leaving us in WCW pay-per-view events. You have to take that if you're going to try to enjoy them. And it must be said, mainly by dint of what I thought was a pretty solid undercard, more than solid in some cases, actually delivered. So yes, it's a WCW pay-per-view. If you're plonking down your 34.99 or whatever it is these days, if you're willing to accept that, and I appreciate it's not always easy, then you're going to enjoy this show. And I just about did. But we will break it down and we'll see what we think. As you heard, Tony is on the call along with Mike and Bobby. They open up by making clear that Scott Hall is not here. Remember that, everybody. Scott Hall is not here. We get footage from Thunder in which Bischoff reads a letter from Vince McMahon's attorney. Despite this, the invitation is still open should you change your mind. Yeah, let's see about that. We then get to see Doug Dillinger outside awaiting Vince's arrival. And yes, they've even gone to the trouble of printing an access badge for him. Yes, that's that's $5.99 I'll never get back. Let's get to the proper stuff, shall we? And our opening match, which is Fit Finley defending his newly won, surprisingly won, TV championship against Chris Benoit. You know it's going to be one of those days when Bobby Heenan tells us that Finley has played both soccer and European football. <laughs> it's okay, Bobby. We know what you meant, I think. The bell rings and we get an overhand knuckle-lock battle to start and it goes to a stalemate. We get an early near-fall sequence and Finley reverses a half-Nelson into a hammerlock on the mat. That was very nice. Benoit hits back and gets two off a hip toss. Big chops by Benoit and a choice tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. He then hauls him into a powerbomb from off the ropes and already these two are feeling it today. Finley back with a lariat and the crippler rolls outside. A very hard scoop slam on the outside, which wasn't too far from the tombstone actually, and Benoit is down. We reset back in with some big stomps and a rear chin lock, which Finley really cinches in. Benoit fights out of it eventually into an electric chair. Fit recovers with a backslide for two and another strong headlock. Elbow to the shoulder blades and he's right back to it. We spell outside once more and he smashes Chris's head into the apron. He grabs a chair, but Benoit rallies and steals it to use himself. Okay, Benoit then returns to the ring and goes for a suicide dive. But as he falls, Finley catches him in the head with the chair. Good God. Now, it must be said, he actually all but missed with the shot. But considering it would have decapitated Chris Benoit if he had connected, I'm going to give them the pass on that one. And another massive clothesline puts Benoit back down. The crowd are now a little quiet, probably because they couldn't believe what they'd just seen. But they come back to life when Benoit hits back with two mega German suplexes. Fit blocks for third and he guillotines Chris on the rope, which is a tough spot to get right. The cross face is on, but Finley's in the ropes. The damage is done, and Benoit goes for the headbutt, but a besuited Booker is here. Benoit gets distracted, so Finley diving drop kicks him in the head. Back in, and Benoit scores a two off a flash inside cradle. But Finley, though, gets up to hit the tombstone for a rather rushed and anticlimactic three, which I thought was a bit of a shame. 
Uh, your thoughts on this match, Bob? It, I wanted to really enjoy this match because I am a pretty big Finley and Benoit fan, and I am enjoying arguably a random and out-of-place title run forfeit. But it just didn't seem like as if they really got past the first layer of the match. Uh, I, I thought maybe the action would kind of pick up following the suicide dive, which was pretty uh, brutal visually. But it just never really amounted to much outside of that. And uh, the Booker T involvement kind of took me away from the match because I'm left now just thinking that it's just going to be a fit Booker situation and Benoit is kind of lost in the shuffle anyway. But, you know, the crowd seemed like they were pretty into it um, or wanted to be really into it. I don't want to discredit it too much. I mean, it was okay, but I think I, I definitely was expecting more from Fit and Benoit here. Peter. Yeah, it just appears to me that this is sort of Fitz got the title so they can set up a, a stellar series between Benoit and Booker. So he'll obviously have his little uh, day in the sun while those two go off and feud about a title on, on, on the line. So a bit of a shame for, for Fit, but actually I think he's done pretty bloody well so far as the, as a TV champion. And this match was uh, classic Finley and I guess you could say a bit of classic Benoit because there's quite a lot of map based stuff in there, sort of hard chops and, I mean, that uh, suicide dive was insane. I mean, if that had actually landed and he'd caught him flush, I mean, I mean, what, I'm not quite sure what had happened to Benoit at that point. Um, and the chair shot outside and the referee's looking straight at it and they just decided to carry on because I think the crowd were enjoying themselves with that. Um, I think it's a shame there was that finish. I think it's just, I think Bob mentioned it before, it's a bit like a nitro when someone walks out, there's a distraction, then you get the, get the, get the pin. So it wasn't really like a, and then it was more of a continuation of that feud. And Finley obviously picked up the win with a, a tombstone that looked very close to, could have been quite nasty looking at how close the head was to the, to the mat there for, uh, for Benoit. But no, I think these two could, could have a, a good series as Benoit, I'm sure, will have with Booker. So a shame Finley's not going to be involved potentially with that. He'll just keep defending it on, on Nitro until he eventually drops it, I'm guessing, to one of the other two. So he's a bit of a stopgap. But as an opener, I can't fault it. Really good. Enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this too. I do think they're capable of better and I hope we get to see it down the line if they get a little bit longer in time. This is the kind of match I want to see Chris Benoit having. We all know what he's capable of. He can work with anybody. So I don't want to see him wasted in five or six minutes on Nitro trying to get half-decent matches out of somebody like Van Hammer. You can have Benoit working with the best and Finlay is one of the best pure fighters, if not the best, ultra scrapper you will see in certainly the big two, maybe even at ECW as well. I mean, this man was born to beat people up. And Benoit can hang with him like he's been working this style all his life. And yes, the pacing wasn't quite there. The crowd, I think, were a little bit surprised. Probably even shocked by the presence of Finlay. He won the TV title out of absolutely nowhere at the start of this month. I mean, I don't know where he's been hiding. He had that stiff fest with Regal as the Belfast Bruiser uncensored two years ago. We've barely seen him since, and he pops up, wins the TV title from Booker on Nitro, clean as a sheet. I hope we get these two fighting get together again for the title. If Benoit wins this best of seven series with Booker, which I think he probably will, I want to see it get a bit longer. I don't want to see any interference. I'd like them to tone down the big spots quite a bit. I want to see these two smacking the shit out of each other in the ring. 
that diving, that suicide dive that ended in the chair shot, it was staggering. It was very dangerous. I give them both credit for doing it, but it belonged to a different match. It's, I don't want to see those two, these two guys taking that risk. There's a match a bit later on where that kind of thing would make a bit more sense. I want to see these two grapple and fight and catch as catch cam and try to work each other's shoulders to the mats to get a good wrestling match. The wrestling elements of this were really good. Benoit fitting with Finley so, so well. Fitz really upped his game. He's taking advantage of this push. The finish was out of nowhere. That seemed a bit go-home to me. Booker just stands in the uh, stands in the aisle while and 30 seconds later, a quick roll-up gets two and the tombstone gets the three. Whether they were pushed a bit for time because there's so many important things on this show they've got to fit in. <laughs> no, they haven't. And it was a bit anticlimactic, as I said. But yes, a very good match. This is what Chris Benoit should be doing. Play to the guy's strengths. Keep rolling with that. Hopefully he'll get past Booker here and these two can get it again on pay-per-view with no shenanigans, a pure, hard, old-school wrestling match, which could be really special. What these two gave us is very promising indeed. So I have few qualms about this. Play to the guy's strengths and they will reward you in spades. What I would say, Rory, very quickly, it does does put over the TV title, though, because that's like the, the fourth behind the cruiserweight probably at the moment, you'd suggest this is like the... The, the the fourth best belt you can get isn't it in that sense it's, it's definitely uh, in the Champions League spots not quite though but the fact that they were prepared to do those suicide dives and they're having a best of seven to see who can challenge the TV champion next I'd put the belt over a little bit so that's quite a positive I would suggest there's a case to be made that it's the second most important title these days it could yeah, be now could it? a best of seven just to get a title shot yeah it's, it's going to go 4-3 now for this sec- a secondary or even third level title, they're paying it some attention and that is good. I mean, it makes a change as much as I love the guy just seeing Regal work 10, 15 minute time limit draws ad nauseum. This is something a bit diff- different. So yes, credit to them for that. If you make your secondary title seem important, people will be with you in all the show from start to finish and not just the main events. And with the roster they've got, they can afford to do that. So I'm glad they're taking it on board. Chris Jericho is in the internet area. He calls himself the most exciting and greatest performer in WCW, and you're not going to see me arguing with that. Although Brian Adams is here, and he is just so, so close to him on that score. (laughs) And as luck would have it, he is in action against Lex Luger. I'm pleased to say this one won't take long. Luger sends him into the post to start and puts the boots to him. Very weak shoulder first drive into the post on the outside. He tries to wrench the arm against the post, but Vincent gets a shot in. Big power slam and the rack is teased, but Vincent stops that too. Adams responds with a shit pile driver. Kicks, 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 and he's used up his entire moveset credit. Oh no, you've got a terrible backbreaker too. Silly me. Lex with his own kick. Rack. Match over. Oh, thank goodness for that. Pete, make it quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian Adams has been sort of hanging around with Brett Hartsney this month and seemed like some sort of enforcer, but he got absolutely annihilated here and and Luger's now joined, you would probably admit, probably the coolest now gang, the, the, the Wolfpack at the end of, during the month as well. So a bit of a waste of Luger and just a waste of time. This was a nice, this was a Nitro match. No doubt about it. That's what I've got to say about it. That's all it was. Nitro match That's at squash, best. Really. At, oh yeah, agreed. Nitro match at best. Bob? Uh, I wouldn't want to see it on Nitro for free and I didn't want to see it for $30. That's it. <laughs> 
Uh, yes, you are people's hard-earned cash on three minutes of Brian Adams <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just imagine the quarter hours of this one was on Nitro. Yeah, absolutely nothing here. I think it was the first Nitro of the month Brian Adams appeared in about eight segments. I know he's a former WWF guy who left in fairly acrimonious circumstances, but you've got somebody else who left for similar reasons who you might just want to pay a bit more attention to, but we'll get to him when we get him. Yeah, match was absolute trash, as you would expect. Luger does now have something going for him, having joined the uh, the Wolfpack. At this point, though, he was going nowhere. His role was what? Rick Steiner's towel man? His, yeah. His massager? I mean, for a match between Rick and Scott, which at least at this point shows no signs of taking place. Ever since Luger lost the belt in August, he's been spinning his wheels and spinning them very slowly indeed and going around in circles. Now, they've got something for him now. We'll talk about what I, my thoughts on that later on. And something is better than nothing. But at this point, he was absolutely nowhere. And it belies the fact that, really, Eric Bischoff didn't want anything to do with him in the first place two and a half years ago. Now, it was all Sting, Sting and more Sting who persuaded him to sign. We get a backstage promo from Saturn where it's time that he looked out for himself. What about me? What about Saturn? Okay, big piece of business here. Our 15-man cruiserweight battle royal. The winner gets a title shot against Chris Jericho straight away. We are about to get intros by Dave Penzer, but Jericho himself is here to bring the people to the ring himself. He runs through the list and he does so in generally amusing fashion. His two best lines are for El Dandy... <laughs> the winner of the Lou Ferrigno lookalike contest. <laughs> and my personal favourite for Billy Kidman, I've got some calamine lotion for you after the show. <laughs> you can tell that they want this match out of the way quickly because elimination can occur by pinfall or merely going through the ropes. Uh, there's no point in us trying to analyse this one. It's just a battle royal. So I'll quickly take you through the eliminations. Uh, Kidman punks out Courageous. Chavo backdrop swinger over the top. A top rope dropkick by Hoovy sends out Super Calo. Silver King is eliminated off-camera. Poor bastard. El Grio gets backdropped out by Dandy, who also gets rid of Marty Giannetti. Fiano 4 goes after Damien pulls down the top rope. Lenny Lane does some showboating, and Hoobie sees him off, and then he dropkicks Damien too. Dandy goes at the hands of Chavo, who then goes at the hands of Kidman. Phew. The final four are Kidman, Cyclope, Hoovy, and Psychosis. Psychosis just sort of bounces out off the top rope, and then a head scissors by the juice gets rid of Kidman. So, it's down to Hoovy and Cyclope. They stare each other down. And then, after a handshake, Hoovy eliminates himself. So, Cyclope wins. Chris Jericho is back at ringside, and he looks all cocky. But wait a minute. Cyclope is unmasking. And it's only bloody Dean Malenko. Oh, my God. The crowd go mad. Jericho is crestfallen. He looks like he's seen a ghost. He sells it brilliantly. And now we go right into a regular match. 
Okay, let's review that regular match. Malenko is pumped and he doesn't let Jericho get anything. Drop kick to the outside and then some mounted punches. And a whip to the guardrail and then some more huge punches back in the ring. Jericho gets some offense with a stun gun and a running senton. He's selling the confusion throughout this match brilliantly, by the way. And he tells us that this is a conspiracy. Vertical suplex and the come on baby pin gets a two count. Uh, Lion Soul also gets a kick out. And I hate to say this, but I think they've lost the crowd a bit here. Double underhook backbreaker and an attempt at a lion tamer. Malenko counters, but we're in the ropes. Close to off a spinning back elbow and then Malenko with some more punches, but he gets put onto the top rope. Malenko fires that off into a big gut buster. He's fired up and he goes for the cloverleaf in the middle of the ring. Jericho tries to make the ropes, but he gets pulled back. He has to give it up and we have a new cruiserweight champion in Dean Malenko. And they get the crowd back with a big and sustained pop. Bob, your thoughts on this whole package? Well, the first part, I don't really understand or, or really know why they would do a battle royal with cruiserweights. You're kind of eliminating kind of the appeal of the cruiserweights, you know, doing high-flying moves and whatnot. I think they would have done better maybe doing something like a gauntlet match. But you were right in the sense of it seemed like they just wanted to go right through it, and a gauntlet match probably would have been like 15, 20 minutes of good wrestling, and God forbid that happened. But <laughs> the uh, reveal here of Malenko – uh, Siglope was was really nicely done. Uh, I don't understand though why Hoobie would kind of talk to him and be like, "Okay, you can have it." I understand that Malenko and Jericho have a pretty big rivalry here, but it kind of discredits the championship if Hoobie's just like, "You know what? Hey, you have your moment. I'll just I'll I'll peace out here." So that part I didn't I didn't understand from a Hoobie perspective, but the reveal of Malenko obviously the crowd goes nuts about it. Uh, I also noticed that the crowd seemed to kind of die out like midway through. So I kind of got a vibe here that maybe it would have been better off for Malenko to just destroy Jericho and make him tap in like two or three minutes. They probably would have gone crazy for it because Jericho constantly kicking out of moves kind of, I don't I don't know how to word it, but kind of makes him look resilient and tough. And I don't really know if that's how Jericho should be presented uh, at this point. But uh, the match was okay. Uh, more on the reveal of what was really great about it. Um, and, you know, Malenko finally getting his revenge makes it uh, a memorable moment on the pay-per-view so far. Yeah, Bob, just coming back on that, do you think this would have been better if the, after the reveal, but it is the Malenko, they should really have done a Ultimate Warrior Honky Tonk Man SummerSlam 88 thing here? I don't think that hurts Jericho any. No, no, I, I think something like that would be fine. It's, it, do, it would never hurt Jericho because then tomorrow night on Nitro, he can just be like, you know, play up the conspiracy thing and get his heat immediately back. I think Jericho is a guy there's more than capable of having people kind of forget if he lost a match in 40 seconds uh, and he can play that into his character. So no, I, I do think something along the lines of, you know, having him tap out in 10 seconds or whatever the case is, I don't think it would have hurt Jericho at all. No. What do you think, Peter? Yeah. So I think the battle rule will leave that where it was. Obviously it's standard. There's not been many good battle rules in our time as well, I suppose, but um quite a creative way of getting sort of Malenko and the crowd to be excited because he's not he's not really had a lot of crowd interest as a character because he's quite a he's a wrestler he's not really a character as such um the I think Bob's right the 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 Huvi just you know jumping over the rope you you, you go ahead mate because no one knew at that point obviously they all knew clearly and they were in on it but the crowd were just like okay what's happening here and then they reveal immediately, and then a standard match. It didn't. It didn't work, did it? I think mean, the, the crowd were lost because of that. 
it'd be better to probably you be just to take a tumble out from a I don't know a hip toss or whatever it may have been just to get him out of the way, and then maybe Jericho comes in all cocky, starts sort of trading blows with Secret Play, and then at some point during those blows, the mask comes off and on goes the clover leaf, and and it's a win in two three minutes. The crowd would have gone absolutely mental. So they got it wrong in that sense. Um, but I think it was a very creative way of, of, of doing what they did. Jericho was the man of, of the match from the minute one when he stood there doing the announcements, which is absolutely hilarious and fantastic. And he's come up so, such a long way from, I remember seeing him as a bland baby face in ECW, what, two years ago? It's just sort of a standard sort of high flyer. Now he's just he's, he's an amazing character. Um, great that Malenko's come back in. I think that's brilliant. But are we going to go back to just, Dean Malenko in the ring, who's got, you know, he's got, he's, he's a great wrestler, but, you know, Jericho will have to sort of, I guess, carry him through their, their new series. But very creative. And I think, again, you know, rather than just to do, do a standard, you know, maybe a little tournament on Nitro, let's do something live. But a battle royal was a bit, you know, we knew it was all good. I was, I was hoping Marty Gennetti might get at least to the final two, bless him, but sadly not. Um, but please do one. But I think it could have been done a little bit differently to sort of, master suspense and know what was going on <laughs> marty probably had somewhere else to be very quickly uh, let's say that <laughs> <laughs> okay then let's uh leave that one hanging in the air let's try and break this one down until the very end there's nothing to talk about the battle royal other than jericho's excellent introductions which you've rightly drawn attention to nothing there at all until it came down to who the there's a secret play I want to give Mike Tanay credit here. He did his best to try to explain why in kayfabe that Hoobie would actually do such a thing, that these two have fought each other before, they respect each other. It's the code of honour in Mexico. I didn't really buy it, but I did at least appreciate the attempt at an explanation. So I've got to give them that. I, I, I didn't read it in kayfabe as though Malenko and Hoobie had discussed this beforehand. So they they, they tried to explain it away. And... An attempt at an explanation is better than no explanation at all, in my opinion. Dean Malenko takes off the mask and he gets a crowd reaction, which he has never got before, and I would wager he will never get since. This is a man who shows no emotion. He is the shooter. He is the Iceman. He is a wrestler. He beats people up. He wrestles them in the ring better than most. And that's all he does. He doesn't talk. He doesn't emote. He just fights. And for a lot of people in 1998, where character is becoming so important, you could argue that that's not enough. But here, he gets an epic main event reaction, taking his mask off. And that is testament to how well they've told this story. Two months ago, Dean Malenko lost on pay-per-view and he was ribbed relentlessly in the ring by uh, Gene Oakland, made to look like a total putz. Left, right and centre, Oakland was giving him brick bats and all Malenko could say that he was going home. And ever since then, Jericho has mocked him every week on television. He's brought out a painting of him. He's lambasted his lack of charisma He's drawn up glasses and moustache on him. He's humiliated his brother. He's humiliated his dead father. And now Malenko comes back in disguise, takes off a mask, and gets a reaction that Stone Cold Steve Austin would be proud of. I say it so often. There, for once, probably the only time with this guy, 
they captured lightning in a bottle. Maybe they weren't even expecting the reaction to be that big. Perhaps I'm giving them a bit too much credence here, but that could be the reason why they decided to then do a seven or eight minute regular match with these two. A good match. These two, you could tell these two to go out and have a bad eight minute match and they wouldn't do it. This was very solid three star stuff as you were expecting. But this was one occasion where I didn't care about work, right? I just wanted to see the final dot on this story. Malenko finally getting his against this arrogant asshole who's made his and his family's life hell for the last two months. Get up there, beat the tar of him, beat the tar out of him, get him in the cloverleaf, have him tap, win his belt, and you've done it. And they didn't quite get that. And I think that's why they lost the crowd. They did get them back for the, for the cloverleaf at the end. I must, I must say that. But that shows that that's what the people here really wanted to see. So yes, an organic crowd reaction for a man devoid of emotion, a human robot, which shows that if you book things correctly, anybody can get over in the true sense and not just with uh, internet trawling smart fans like us. No, the casuals wouldn't care less about Dean Malenka otherwise. They were going crazy because they booked this so well, but they just slipped up at the end. At least he won the goddamn belt. If, if Jericho had come away with it, then I would have thought the WCW have no sense whatsoever. So right result, and that pop will live me for a very long time. You would have heard me play it in the intro to this show. But at the end, they just got cold feet to really giving us the caning that we wanted to get. But Malenka is now the Cruiserweight champion, and this has been a very well-told story. We then switch to the Vinnie Mac cap. Oh, just stop this, will you? It spots a white limo which Doug investigates. This is just ludicrous now. Here's Tony on commentary. If Jim Ross comes out carrying his bags, you know it's Vince. Still bitter, are we, Tony? Anyway, here comes the Bowery death match. It involves a cage with a roof, but no space to walk around outside. The lack of space to, to walk around outside is probably so they can avoid any instant lawsuits from Vince when he turns up. Oh, God, they've got me doing it now. Anyway, <laughs> Paige mugs on top of the cage, and now here's Raven with his personal riot squad. So here we are, Raven versus Diamond Dallas Page in a Bowery death match. They both start out strong by exchanging whips and throws into the cage and buckles. And it just so happens that on top of the buckles are various weapons, trash cans, chairs, etc. Raven empties one of them, and we see fire extinguishers and a shovel as well. Here's Tony on commentary again. A VCR is in the ring. Is that a first or what? Uh, it's what, Tony? You're two and a half years too late. <laughs> DDP grabs the ball rope and ties it around Raven's neck and hauls him into the cage. He then hooks the rope to the top of the cage and winches Raven up. He collapses and the 10 count begins. Uh, you can't answer the 10 count. If you don't answer the 10 count here, you lose. It's standard death match in that respect. Uh, Raven is up as upper eight, but he eats a VCR to the head. He kicks Paige off into another trash can and both men are down. Crowd are quiet again as Raven starts to dominate. The cookie sheet of doom gets smashed over DDP's head a few times. Raven sets up a chair to booze and locks on a sleeper. Paige backs it off, but Billy Silverman gets bumped. A George Jacker breaks a sleeper and a drop to hold to the chair by DDP. The flock come down to ringside and Riggs has brought some bolt cutters with him. Before they can get in, though, Hammer emerges from under the ring and hits the flock with the stop sign. Yes, everybody, it's the Hammer face turn we all wanted. He handcuffs Reese before two Riot Squad members lead him off. The other two are in the ring, and they are Kidman and Horace, of course. DDP fends them off and hits a princely diamond cutter to Kidman, who is holding on to the top of the roof. An incredible spot there. 
Raven is up with the fire extinguisher and the even flow DDT. Page fights to his feet just before 10. Raven with a low blow and his own diamond cutter, but again, Page gets up. Raven grabs a chair and misses, and then takes the diamond cutter. Both men are down, but they stir at eight. Raven can't quite get up at nine, though, and Page scraps to his feet, staggers into the cage just before 10, and that is good for the win. At the end of the match, a Riot Squad member handcuffs Riggs, Horace, and Kidman to the cage, and Raven himself gets the same treatment. The Riot Squad member then unmasks as Mortis, who then takes off his own mask, and he then brains Raven unprotected with a chair. Raven's been attacked a few times in the recent weeks uh, by somebody who was dressed up as a vendor and various other things. That is now being that is now Mortis, who now appears to be going by his real name of Canyon. Your thoughts on this match and the post-match angle, Mr. Pete Kimber? Yes, it was a battle of the diamond cutters in the end, and obviously DDP won that battle. Um, I'm not a massive fan of the of the death match because it sounds a bit more exciting. It's going to be with the ten count. It just I think it makes it a little bit anticlimactic, really, when you're having to wait for somebody to get up from a ten count and then off they go again with the same sort of unprotected chair shots and weapon shots. It was all very sort of. I wouldn't say safe ECW, but it was very much, you know, uh, Raven's been in far, um, I guess you could say, hardcore death matches in his time, clearly over the years, with Tommy Dreamer, etc. Um, but DDP, I mean, I think I was on a show last year, sold out, and I think DDP at that point was just sort of beginning to get onto a crest of a wave. And I don't think he's really left it. I think he's just been sort of put back down into sort of the middle of the card again. But I, I think he's, he's great. And I think... Uh, the move he's got, that move on Kidman with the cutter from, from the, the roof of the cage was absolutely awesome. And the guy just talk about a bit like the stunner, isn't it? It's that one move that you can land and make everyone just think, wow, brilliant. You know, and it's going to be a pin. It's going to be the finisher. Um, the run-ins, I guess we're expecting that with Raven's flock. Um, good to see Van Hammer and his nipple rings again on television, clearing house. That was always a bit, a bit of fun. Who wants to see it though? <laughs> Who wants to see that though? Jesus. Um, and obviously then this Canyon guy just uh, appears and the, all the, the death of Mortis is complete. Long live Canyon. Um, and I guess DDP hopefully now moves onwards and upwards. And Raven, I think, probably deserves a bit more. So I think he, he put a lot of effort into this match and took a lot from it. I think he looked a little bit weak at the end, you know, having scored his own diamond cutter and DDP's was slightly better and stronger and he couldn't quite make the count. But the right man won because obviously he wasn't involved in all these kind of riot squad shenanigans and internal stuff that's been going on with Raven so good to see DDP getting that sort of uh, rub up the card and where this goes from now with uh, Canyon and, and Raven I'm not quite sure what's next for these two after after what happened but it's a good match though I'm um, a bit overbooked the stop sign of ECR it was all a bit you know we can do hardcore wrestling I suppose wasn't it inside this this mini hell in the cell I guess you could call it but I don't think did they really need that. I suppose these two, these two could just put on a, a pretty decent match without all the shenanigans. But I guess it was what it was. Bob, uh, I just it came across very uh, like a watered down ECW attempt. The stipulation here of the ten count really kind of made it so numerous times a crowd would pop and then they'd have to wait eight seconds for anything else to happen and then the finish. They had to wait eight or, you know, nine, ten seconds to actually pop for the win. 
So it's just kind of in that regard, it's pretty slow and stuff like that. I didn't necessarily like the involvement of the flock because it kind of ruins the point of a cage match of keeping people out. And, uh, you know, I think they could have just relied more on the weapons if they wanted to protect Raven or what have you. Um, If you like watered-down ECW stuff, then I guess you're going to really enjoy this. Because for me, I mean, it just wasn't um, something that I necessarily enjoyed. uh, Because I can see it kind of better in ECW if I want to see that type of stuff anyway. And I think Raven continuously losing. It seems like he's always losing and not really having much momentum. I kind of would have preferred if he would have won here, get some more momentum for himself. Yeah, I think you both both made reference to it, and I agree with you. Death matches sound really, really, really gripping and exciting, but they're not. You're you're watching somebody, and often cases both people, lying on the floor, breathing in and out for the count of at least eight. There's no real drama in that. You compare that to a one, two, three pop to get a win, rather than just lying and not being able to answer referee counting to ten very slowly. It sounds good. The execution never really comes across. And also, if you compare this to the match they had last month, where they were belting each other with weapons and kicking out at two and being up and jiving again a second later, here somehow, just because this is a death match, they do sell things as though they are indeed nearing death. It's, it, it, it's a balance that you can't really get. And if you watch closely, you can see the holes. Having said that, I really enjoy this for what it was. The way that WCW do hardcore matches even with somebody like Raven in there who is a past master at this sort of thing, it comes across to me as trying to be like ECW, but as though they've only been told about it through a game of Chinese whispers and they were the 20th, pe- the 20th people down the line. That they've never actually seen an ECW match, but they're giving their own interpretation of what they think it might be. Luckily, you've got people in there who can pull it off. Raven is Raven. And DDP is just so perfect at getting his ass kicked and somehow finding a way out. The man has just so much natural support and so much sympathy in everything he does. I really do buy that the guy is on his last legs and yet can eke out a victory without it seeming like he's just become Superman. He's not Superman. He's every man. When he gets hit by a diamond cutter, he then manages to hit back and execute his own and he can just about, after all of that, get up and stand up at the count of ten. He has to hold on to the cage to do it. Has to use the referee for support. Now, I believe that. This is a guy who just will not stay down. He won't take no for an answer. Not because he's some sort of omnipotent super being. Because he's doing it for us. He is... I've said it before, I'll say it again. He is me out there. You know, he, yes, he, he... He could be an ice cream man. <laughs> I can... I can see him being an ice cream man. Make mine a 99, please, Mr. Falkenberg. <laughs> was, was, that, uh, was, was that you, Pete? I'm sorry, guys. A, a really fun match between two, two people who know how to do this thing. It does feel a bit pared down when you've got the real McCoy over on the other channel. But uh, I thought they did well. This does seem to end the feud. I want to see Paige now, if not in the main events, as near to Dammit as he can possibly be. I'm interested to see where they go now with Raven versus Mortis. I think the promos there could be quite interesting. I mean, this guy Canyon, he can certainly talk, as he's shown before, as Mortis. He's got a very unique move set as well. I think Raven, you know, should be able to sell those moves very well. I can see them having a little TV and indeed pay-per-view feud here. So there's lots of places they can go. I think the right person won. 
but let's get Page as high up the card as we possibly can. Nobody deserves it more, and people really want to see it. We're back by the entry entranceway to the arena, and they actually have photos of World Wrestling Federation superstars so they can identify them. All of this will make sense later, he says. Let's get to another match, shall we? That's what we're here for. Ultimo Dragon versus Eddie Guerrero. And if Dragon wins, Eddie will give Chavo his freedom. Eddie with a swank arm drag takedown to start and they exchange some quick reversals, which were way too fast for me to type. Dragon works him down into a head scissors and he locks in an arm bar. Eddie turns that into a body vice and then they exchange monkey flips in a sequence that looked totally seamless. Dropkick by Eddie and assumes control until Dragon gets a reverse Rana using the ropes for leverage and some sti- stiff kicks. Bobby with a great line to Chavo. Just say uncle. Very nice. <laughs> Some bloke strips in the crowd and inexplicably gets applauded for it. But Dragon gives us something far more palatable when he breaks out the motor lock. Eddie fights out and he puts Dragon down with a snap suplex. He drove Dragon down. Dragon down by his neck there. We spill outside and Eddie chokes Dragon with a cable. Chavo gets in his face over that and we go back in. They fight on the top rope but Guerrero gets crushed or gets crotched and they had a top rope Enziguri to knock him off. They just about get an Asai moonsault right, and then Dragon gets two off a spinning rack. Big moonsault also gets a two count. We're back to the top rope with Eddie Brock in a Rana, and hits his nephew's own finisher for Tornado DDT. He misses the frog splash though, and then a Magistral Cradle almost takes it for the Dragon. An Asai moonsault attempt in the ring is actually a setup for the Dragon Sleeper. Fantastic. And then Eddie reverses to his own. This is some first-class work right here. He puts his foot on the ropes, and Chavo doesn't like that. He and his uncle remonstrate by the apron, but then Dragon tries a spin kick. Eddie ducks, and Chavo gets hit. That allows Eddie to execute a brain buster and a frog splash for the win. Chavo does not have his freedom. He then snaps and attacks Dragon. Chavo is so pumped that even Eddie tries to stop him. Eddie invites Chavo to give him a smack, but after all that, though, he still can't quite do it. He does, he does, though, comply with his uncle's request to give him a kiss on the cheek. What do you think, Bob? I thought it was a good wrestling match, but I don't understand the angle. I don't know why Dragon is wanting to help out Chavo. Don't know his involvement of it. What you what you describe there? I mean, it, it seemed like pretty seamless stuff. Um, I probably would have enjoyed it more there live. Uh, viewing it, it seemed as if maybe the crowd wasn't as appreciative of it, maybe because they're also not invested into it. I don't know if there's much reason to care for Chavo's freedom at this point. Um, the aftermath, uh, you know, kissing Eddie on the cheek and stuff. I, I get the approach here. I don't know why Chavo is a prisoner of Eddie. I'm assuming for Eddie to be a heel and maybe dominate the cruiserweight division or what have you. But, uh, you know, it, it just 
for the most part, it just felt like a filler, <clears throat> a filler match here on the pay per view. Before we get into the uh, the bigger matches here, um, probably would have closed out a good second hour on Nitro, though. Please. Yeah, I think this this angle develops further doesn't it, in the month as it goes on, and I think Shavo's character and the role he's playing becomes a little bit clearer here. It was a little bit, you know. I think the dragon, Ultra Dragon's just stuck in the middle of this. These two, uh, a bit of a waste of him, I suppose. I'm not quite sure what else he's been doing recently, Ultra Dragon. But clearly, you know, he's one of the what top five wrestlers probably in in the world at this point. In uh, in uh, as he stands as is, but in this match, I think with all the Shavo Guerrero and Eddie stuff going on, which I quite like, to be fair, I think it is going somewhere. Um, and it was a very, I think Bob made a good point there. It is like probably opening out the second hour or probably the best match on Nitro that week, probably match, isn't it? Where the Cruiserweights have their, have their say. Eddie, I don't think probably was quite as on song as I've seen him in the past, but Pink, he was, he was trying to play off the Shavo stuff probably as well. So that's something else he had to think about as well as being a, you know, an outstanding world-class wrestler as well. So, there was quite a lot going on, and I think they did really well with all of it, to be fair. And I think as, as we've moved on with the month, it does become a bit clearer with, you know, Shavo and, and I mean, his character's getting better and obviously far riskier and far more into, you know, being on his own potentially or actually going to go up against his brother, isn't it? Or his, uh, sorry, his uncle, sorry, my apologies. So, uh, good match. Enjoyed it. Uh, loads of good stuff in there. Um, the end, I think, was, was, Pretty much, you could probably bank on it. To be honest, it wasn't really a big surprise. Bit of a shame for Ultimo Dragon, but I think Shavo may be on the up and up. Oh, I thought this was a great wrestling match. Two of the absolute very best. The storyline did override it, but then it was always going to. In an ideal world, I would like to see Dragon and Eddie go at it for 15, 20 minutes, with no real heel face lines, and just tear it up. Now, they could hit four and a half stars easily, perhaps even better at their very best. These two are just so good. In the first two minutes alone, the quality of action in there rank, ranked alongside anything you'll see on pay-per-view this year. In the quality and the depth and the intricacy of the reversals. I mean, I, I wasn't even going to waste my time trying to describe them and type them. It'd be I mean, Me just reading them out to you would be small beer compared to digging out the tape and watching them. These two are two of the very best in the world, and long may they continue. And they gave us a real doozy here. But as I say, it was still a backdrop for the storyline. A storyline which I do rather like, because it is giving Chavo a bit of a personality. I mean, last month I said on here he's a boring high flyer, which nobody should ever be. Yet here he's he's showing some chops on the microphone. I think he's improving week after week. I mean, when he snapped here and on Nitro just after this, where he is really trying to get... Eddie is the one who's trying to calm him down and he can't do it. I, I think that's good for Chavo. Eddie is there. Eddie doesn't need to get anywhere. He is the full, complete, bona fide package from head to toe. He almost doesn't need to be doing this, but if his own... Using his own oodles and oodles of charisma can be used to help get his nephew over some way over in some way, then I really don't mind at all. Yes, in an ideal world, again, I'd like to see Dragon doing something else other than this, just being a pawn in somebody else's storyline. But if you go, if, if this is a filler match, then I want filler matches the left, right and centre, because this was top quality wrestling, the best match on the card, the storyline which I rather like. I'm still not sure where it's going to end, 
the way they were hinting at it at the end of the month suggested that it might even some kind of maybe double turn of Chavo being the heel in this and Eddie going face. I'm not sure that's where I would head this, but I'm intrigued. They'll be facing each other on the pay-per-view next month, and I've no doubt the match will be good as well. Yeah, tremendous match, which I highly recommend seeking out, but it's taking place in North America, so storyline is really everything. But Dragon and Guerrero, they were in my top three wrestlers of the year last year. And if they carry on like this, they'll both be up there again. Quality wrestling action on mainstream US pay-per-view. More of this, please. Uh, I'll have to mention this now. We, we go back to the locker room and we see the WCW restricted area, which is the locker room for Vince, the reason for the ratings, McMahon. <laughs> Not sure you want to draw attention to that one, guys. <laughs> and now we get a rematch from last month's pay-per-view with Goldberg defending his newly won US title against Saturn. Top wrist lock and Saturn escapes into the corner. Tony on commentary tries to get Goldberg over as a great wrestler. Tony, we don't need to hear that. Let's just watch him press slam Saturn instead. Yeah, I like that so much. I want to see him do it again. And he does. And a big clothesline. That's what we want Goldberg to be. Saturn regroups with some kicks in the corner, but Bill puts him down again. And Saturn slaps him in the face. Bill throws him into the buckle and stomps away. At ringside, Goldberg goes for a punch, but he hits the post. A spinning heel kick off the top by Saturn is only good for a one count. Sleeper hold, Bill fights out of it with ease and turns it into a rather unconvincing belly-to-belly. Saturn back with a swinging neck breaker and another sleeper hold. Bill throws him off there too, but goes for a charge and hits the buckle. Saturn with an overhead beal, I think you'd call it, and he then reaches for a chair. He sets it up for a springboard dropkick, and he hits it. He goes for another, but this time he's caught into a spear. It looked more like the proverbial running hug, which I mentioned last month, I'm afraid. Compared to the spear which Raven took last month, I didn't really believe it. But anyway, they quickly reset, go for the jackhammer, and Goldberg is now leading by 88 wins to zero losses, Bob. Yeah, I thought it was okay. Uh, it's kind of weird to see a guy like Saturn having competitive matches with Goldberg because I'm just kind of already, I guess I'm already buying into Goldberg and his dominant nature. But uh, I thought they worked a, a decent little match here and a fine little lead in here into our, our two main events for the evening. But again, it was just kind of weird to see Saturn having a really having several moments to shine on a guy like Goldberg and, Gold- and Goldberg, I guess, selling for him too. It was, just, it was a weird visual to see. What do we say, Pete? Yeah, I mean, you, by this point, 88 matches in, it's a standard Goldberg fair, isn't it? I think seven minutes, I think he went in the end with Saturn here, which was a good effort for Saturn to go that long with uh, good old Bill. Um, yeah, I, I think Goldberg, this was probably the, the, the crowd pop before we get to the main event to get everybody energised, ready to go into the to the end. Because obviously he's massively over, hugely popular. We know what you're going to get. You're going to get high impact, not a great deal of selling. You're going to get a spear. You're going to get the jackhammer. And he's going to win. There's no way this guy's losing Saturn. Even though Saturn built himself up a little bit early on in the show with that little interview, you know, you felt that maybe something was on the card. Silver so would be a little bit more effective against Goldberg. But it wasn't to be. Um yeah, just standard Goldberg on your marches. I mean, you know, this guy is, is, is headed one way, clearly, isn't he? They, they've clearly got behind this this guy, the machine, as it were. Where would it take him? Who Who's next, I suppose, is what they all say, don't they? 
They do indeed. This was a match too far. I wouldn't have done a rematch here. I quite liked the one they had at Spring Stampede last month. I didn't like this one. They, Saturn in particular, trying way too hard here. Doing do things with Goldberg you just can't do. The reversal of a sleeper into a belly-to-belly, Goldberg can't do that. Catching him from a springboard dropkick off a chair into a spear, Goldberg can't do that. Just play to the guy's strengths. If you're going to have a decent six to seven match minute match with him just go out there and have him no sell you it's don't try and have a match with this guy it's like with tony talk as i said in, in the blurb there tony trying to say goldberg's a great wrestler it doesn't matter how closely or not closely you look at things nobody thinks bill goldberg is a great wrestler people don't cheer him because he's a great wrestler they cheer him because he, he comes out he snorts he spits he spears you he jackhammers you you hear a three count and he's back in the locker room again. That's what works. That's what people want to see. And I've said it before on these shows. He cannot do that forever. I accept that. He's got to start having competitive matches. He can't be elevated into main events if that does happen. Uh, Eric and I were saying that they might even consider going Hogan Goldberg at Starcade, the way things are going, and I wouldn't rule that out. He can't just squash people until the end of time. Totally accept that. He needs to work on that. But for now, while he is just the US champion, have him kill people. He does it on Nitro. He's still wrestling absolute bottom of the wrong jobbers. Nobody cares, though. He still gets the biggest pop of the night. Just said so often about pro wrestling. Just go with what works. Wheels are round for a reason. They're not square. They're not triangles. They're round. They move forward. That's why they're built like that. Have Goldberg destroy people. Don't have him trying to do intricate reversals out of sleeper holes into belly-to-bellies. Spear, jackhammer, good night. I do appreciate the push for Saturn, though. I think he's taking the, he's doing the best to take advantage of his opportunity. But here, pushing a bit too hard and this match. Doesn't do him any favours. It doesn't hurt Goldberg. But just be a little bit careful with him, eh? Oh, man, here we go. Eric Bischoff versus Vince McMahon. This one actually gets the buffer treatment. He introduces Bischoff. And if you thought that the introductions for <laughs> the introductions for Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe and Vince McMahon are over the edge were over the top, you ain't hurt nothing yet. This was basically a marriage proposal during this one. <laughs> I do like Eric's game face, though. That's quite amusing. Vince is, of course, announced next, but he isn't there. I bet that one shocked you. Bischoff takes the mic and invites the ref to ring the bell and count to ten. And he asks us to count along too. Isn't that nice? We do need get to 10. And Bischoff is declared the winner by forfeit and disqualification. Tony says it was by count out. I say it was by stupidity. Okay then, boys. We're not going to talk about this here. We've got a lot to discuss about Bischoff later on. And we will bring this up there. Because, boy, do we need to break down the, the madness of King Eric this month. But while we're here, gents... Let's have a quiz, shall we? Right, fingers on the buzzers. Okay. This match ended by a 10-count forfeit count-out, whatever you want to describe. Okay, I think I've got this right. Somebody will, I'm sure, write in if I'm wrong. But can you tell me the last time on pay-per-view somebody won a match by a 10-count forfeit? Good question. That is a really good question.
did. Was it? it? I think I'm about, is it Sensational Sherry and Sapphire at SummerSlam 1990? Oh, well played, that man. He's in there. Oh, yes. Wow. There you go. Jackpot hit. There we are. Pete Kimber, trivia <laughs> champion. I don't know where that came from. I, may I never had a shot on that one, guys. <laughs> I am monumentally impressed that you managed to get that one right, Peter. Wow. I, I, was I, not... should, just, I should just leave now, then. <laughs> no, no, don't, please, man, please stop. Don't, don't, don't worry, Bob. I'll, I'll give you, I'll, if you're on a show next month, I'll give you a chance to hit back there, okay? No, yeah. because now, now I'll fail and I'll have... I'll just... <laughs> yeah, but I did have an ice cream man playing in the background a minute ago. So <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, now, now you're even. Yes, One indeed. Off. Sensational Sherry versus... Uh, Versus Sapphire from SummerSlam 90. At least Bischoff didn't go the whole hog and wear a cat mask during this one. <laughs> there we are. Yeah, we will talk about this more later on. The man's a bloody marvel. Michael Buffer sticks around to call our next bout a grudge match from hell. And Brett's music would at least fit that description. He is... <laughs> Why do they keep Buffer on? Bret Hart is here dressed in black and purple. I mean, really? Oh, anyway, here it goes. Bret Hart versus Randy Savage. Our guest referee is Roddy Piper. The bell rings, but Brett starts outside. Piper throws him in, but we are still stalling for a while. Finally, they lock it up, and Brett assumes charge with some fist to the back. Wild swing by Savage, as if he's been bitten by a snake or something, and he almost hits Piper. Clean break, and Macho has control with the clothesline. Boot to the throat under the ropes, and Savage uses the entire five count, and then an elbow to the windpipe. Brett back up with a headbutt and a leg drop. Savage holds onto the rope, but he suplex back in. He rolls to the outside, and then Brett tries to nail him with the steel steps, but he manages to move. Hitman dumps him over the guardrail, and we're in the crowd. Hart gets slung into the hockey boards, and now we're back to the ring. Kick to the knee, and the tie turns with Brett working the leg. Be quiet, Mr. Bamba. Tony tells us that Scott Hall is in the building. He grinds the right leg against the rope, and Piper's here to break it. Take down by Brett, and now we hit the leg snaps. Russian leg sweep and a big pile driver, but an arrogant cover only gets a two. DDT, delayed pin, a further two count. There's the backbreaker, but the elbow drop gets only canvas. Savage gets up and hobbles around a bit and scores his own two off a suplex. He then hits the elbow, but as he lands, he favours his knee. And as such, the pinfall is also only good for two. Brett goes straight to the sharpshooter, but here comes Liz. Savage somehow reverses the hold, but Brett gets to the ropes. Liz is now in the ring and Piper tries to throw her out, but Savage pushes him. Uh, Brett then hits Piper with a take something or other, but Savage is able to steal it. Hart begs off, that was weird, and Hogan turns up and attacks Macho's leg. Piper comes to and supposedly thinks it was Savage who hit him, lets Brett put on the sharpshooter, and then calls to the match to the halt. Calls the match to a halt. Much like my sentence structure, that one fell apart at the end. Uh, Brain of Britain, your thoughts on this one? <laughs> I prefer Mastermind, thank you very much. <laughs> um, Brett Hart. I mean, Michael Buffer called him Brett to begin with. Didn't even get Hart or Hitman Yes, that's Hart. right. <laughs> just called he him just Brett called Hart. him Brett. And it was like, <laughs> oh, for God's sake. He's on a lot of money, but why did you come to WCW, Brett? Jesus. Um, this would have been probably, going back into early 90s, a dream match, wouldn't it? You know, Savage and Brett Hart in sort of, I don't know, 92, 93, maybe would have been like, you know, an amazing spectacle probably this was clearly five years after that point and you know savage is nwo so is he a heel bret hart's in the nwo but kind of isn't isn't he's kind of aligned with hulk so what role is he playing roddy piper was out there 
I'm not quite really sure why. And obviously, <laughs> it was about as much use as a chocolate teapot as well as when he was out there. Um, Savage needs to just, I don't know, get his knee sorted out because he just he seems in a lot of pain out there. And normally, this guy's, yeah, nine times ten, Savage can go quite well, but he just looks in in so much pain and keeps selling this knee. You know, please go and get it sorted out as quickly as possible, which he doesn't by the sounds of it. Rest of the month anyway. Um, it's just. For Bret Hart to be where he was and to be where he is right now in WCW, I think there's one word that's sad. I just think this was just a complete waste of him as as a wrestler we know he is, you know, and what he does. He's not about overbooked, messy finishes like this where, you know, he's hit Piper, but then Savage has picked up the, the, the whatever they, was that a, a taped whatever that was, a knuckle duster or something. and a then ta- A taped thing. <laughs> a taped thingy-be-jig, whatever it may have been. I just, it just, I don't know. They didn't need to do it, did they? This is Bret Hart and Randy Savage. They don't need to do all this. And 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 then you get the sight of Hulk Hogan sort of skirting out. It's like no one can see him, like he's like the Harry Potter cloaks on, and no one can see him. And out he comes, wanders in, you know, takes takes the knee out, you know, who would have thought it? And then just wanders off again. And you're like, well, where, why isn't he even here tonight? Then he's obviously played some part. Um, and it was just, I, I think, sad for me. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a great match. It was just an angle. Um, Brett just needs to somehow get out of this situation quickly and get on to wrestling top quality matches again. Cause you know, this wasn't that. And he needs to get back into a, into a different picture because this wasn't wasn't for him at all. You know, I was really disappointed. Probably, probably the most anticipated match you might say, and probably the worst match of, of the show for me. What do we say, Bob? Uh, yeah, definitely a major disappointment because it, it, it this is a dream match from ninety two, ninety three, and maybe even into ninety four back in the WWF days, and just to see what they did here. Um, kind of makes you kind of depressed to be quite honest with you. It seemed like a good portion of the match was brawling and I immediately took that as if they were covering for an injury on Savage's part and hard working over Savage's knees for a good portion of the match. And then having Savage kick, you know, I guess kind of counter the sharpshooter didn't make a lot of logical sense to me. Um, kind of diminishing the move there. I wasn't expecting Hogan to come in and get involved in the finish and, really just be on the show for 30 seconds. I mean, that's a paycheck I'd have to sign with my eyes closed to really justify it and not to be bothered by it because he, he did nothing. And it just continues a, a played out angle with Savage that probably doesn't need to continue going into this. I really wanted to like, it. I really wanted to come on here and be like, it was a great match and I loved it. But for nearly 18 minutes or however long it went, um, just kind of made you sad for Savage, at least for myself. So a really disappointing co-main event match for me. Yeah, I'm with you both. Dreams never come true for a reason, don't I? I mean, for years, people have speculated about what we would do if we got a, a bona fide main event pay-per-view match between Bret Hart and Randy Savage. And now we've got it and it never really started. There are people out there who think that Brett Savage should have been the main event of WrestleMania 9. I am chief among them. 
Although I do wonder what would have happened if they had main evented WrestleMania 9, and yet we still have the same ending to that pay-per-view as we did have. <laughs> I think the, the, the bulletin boards would have exploded, we can say. There might have been a murder on live pay <laughs> Very, very possibly indeed, yes. This was, this was there. Savage just, I don't think Savage has been fully fit for at least the end of 95, possibly even before that. And they tried to do the thing they did on their Saturday night's main event match way back in 87, where Savage is only on one leg. But Savage in 1998 is not Savage 1987. And just seeing Brett work obvious mid-card, straight out of wrestling school, generic heel style. Now he's begging off, he's using tape knuckles. I mean, come on, this is Bret Hart. Now, when he was a heel last year, it was something very, very different and gave us some great television at times. Here he's just generic bad guy version 1.0, straight off the production line. It's Bret Hart, for God's sake. As I said earlier, they're paying more attention to Brian Adams than they are this fella. And they're just wasting him. The finish was far too convoluted to the point where it eventually got had to be rediscussed the next day on Nitro and then you have Piper change it. As I don't know where they're going with Brett these days. I think we can now put to bed any chance. I mean, Dave Meltzer still disagrees, but I don't see it happening. Unless you know somebody's on, somebody on the inside who says we are going to get Brett Hogan at Starcade. I think that is now completely dead. I would not be surprised if we don't see that match at all. Savage is now a quasi-face, as we'll get to a little later on. And this was a match which got by by dint of personality and nothing else. I watched it because it was Bret Hart and Randy Savage, but the dream did not come true. I think before our very eyes, the dream died. It's main event time. is indeed here and he looks in let's say high spirits <laughs> spirits indeed <laughs> moving swiftly on he is clad in the red and black alongside nash and dusty is with them it's survey time and some things never change giant comes out alone in the black and white and sting is sting so our main event is for the wcw tag team titles titles for the outsiders defending against the giant and sting sting and hall kick us off have a lock by hall but sting elbows him they block hip tosses and a hall hits his mock the giant choke slam. Sting with a face plant and uh, two inverted atomic drops. Two stinger splashes. He goes for the scorpion, but Nash breaks it up. All four men in and giant sees off Kev. He gets tagged in and Hall brings in Nash. After a lot of taunting, Nash hits some big blows and then calls for the jackknife, but Giant has it scouted and he drives him into the corner. They share Irish whips and corner clotheslines. As Mike Tanay rightly says, the crowd response here is fairly mixed. A butt bump or three to the stomach and then the demonic hair pull. Sting in and he walks right into a big boot. Hall picks up the pieces and hits his fall away slam. The flare pin gets a two count. Nash back in with snake eyes and the outsiders doing some quick tags here to keep Sting in their corner. But they can't score a three. Abdominal stretch with the usual leverage and Sting hip tosses out of it. Nash with a sidewalk slam for another two count. 
Bear hug in. I yawn, but the crowd get into it as Sting fights out. A diving tag, and the giant is in. He pummels Nash into dust and gives him a slam. Headbutt to the groin and a leg drop for two. Giant goes up to the top. The crowd are on their feet, but Giant misses what was a rather sloppy splash. Hall wills Nash to make the tag, but instead he pulls down the straps. Dusty has the ref distracted, and then when Nash goes for the jackknife, Scott Hall grabs a belt and he hits Nash with it. What the? Giant then covers Nash for a three, and we have new tag team champions. Sting looks on completely dumbfounded as Hall and the Giant embrace. Scott dumps a black and red shirt over Nash as Giant invites Sting to join them, but the Stinger just stares into space as the show ends. Bob, what did you make of all of this? Well, immediately I just find it bizarre to see Sting doing like a crotch taunt, the crotch chop taunt. It doesn't really fit his character to me. It really kind of threw me for a loop there. I also don't understand why the Giant is aligning himself with Hogan's version of the NWO. Does he not remember what happened in 97, like a year and a half ago? So that I don't really understand. The, the match was okay for the most part. Your standard stuff, I mean, nothing really earth-shadowing. Um, I thought it was pretty – I mean, anytime Giant comes off the top rope, it's incredible. I don't know why he feels the need to do that. Um, it has an interesting, interesting dynamic of having – Sting and Giant not getting along uh, due to his, you know, Giant recently joined the NWO and having to fight against Hall and Nash. So, I mean, I, the match was already made before the defection, so that that part of the equation is is interesting to see how it plays out. Like they're so cool and all that, and you're trying to recruit Sting. Um, having Hall turn on Nash, I don't know if anybody was really expecting that. I kind of was expecting Giant to turn on Sting, to be honest with you, which was the obvious choice, probably. But uh, I think I prefer Nash and Hall together. Um, and it was weird to see Sting at the end kind of act like he was shocked by the betrayal. I don't know why he would care, because my understanding of the storyline here is that the NWO is bad. No matter what color you are, whether you're black and red or black and white, the NWO is trying to take over WCW. That's always been my interpretation. Um, so even if they're branching off as being faces, I guess, the uh, the black and red here, I don't know why Sting would look as if he felt bad for Kevin Nash, considering the last two years have been kind of like torture for the guy. But uh, in terms of the action, like I, like I mentioned, I is okay. I mean, there's no – I'm not going to remember anything tomorrow about the match or anything. It was just by the book stuff. And then a heel turn by Hall, I guess, would make you want to tune into Nitro tomorrow. But for the most part, it was just, uh, just, just a match for me. Peter. Uh, during my uh, sort of hiatus from the show in recent months, I listened to last month's show, and I was, like, furious. I think you, Roy, were laying into Sting and how basically just rubbish he was and how this, that and the other. Right, I, was ready to, I was ready to come on this month and really sort of go back at you, but actually you're absolutely spot on. And, and, and Sting now from Sting previous incarnation, even when he was the, the crow Sting, you know, taking on the NWO, 
now, like Bob said, he's just sort of, well, I don't know what I'm doing out here. I'm staring at you guys and you're all the bad guys and I'm stuck in the middle of all of it. And I, I don't, I don't know how, where to take, how to take Sting anymore in this whole scenario. It's just weird. Um, I can only imagine Hall has moved to the black and white. So at least somebody in Hogan's uh, group gets a pop from the crowd because there's nobody else who will do in his group. So, cause Hall, whether you say about him, you know, slightly, uh, over the legal limit, shall we say, is still hugely over with the, the crowd uh, big time. Um, I think it was just a turn for the sake of a turn, I think, here at the end, wasn't it? This is kind of, there was no real reason why Scott Hall would turn on Kevin Nash, because Nash has had his back, you know, since he's not been in for a while, isn't he? Having his, you know, dare I say it, personal problems. Uh, the match itself, this this was an end, um, a Nitro main event match. Admittedly, it wasn't even, what, 15 minutes, but it was more setting up for what happened at the end. There wasn't really... The match was nothing of sorts. The sight of the giant going to the top rope, I was like almost gripped on the sofa going, gee, what's going to happen here? You know, is he going to fall off? Is he going to kill whoever he lands on? But he kind of just sort of flopped off the rope, didn't he? We didn't really give it the full... I don't know what he could have done. And he looks like he's just starting to go as well, the giant. It's a slight physique's just starting to go it looks like he doesn't really probably care like he's not quite as infused as he was i think even he's a bit confused like bob said you know he's been in the nwo how many times has he been in the black and white nwo he must have come in and out of it several times uh, this is yeah. the, uh, at least the second time i think yeah has, has he not learned his lesson that yes. you know going with hulk is going to just end badly wrong isn't it it's not going to go well for you you're not going to get yourself over you're not going to be the champion because we know who is um so I don't know quite. This was probably just all set up just for Hall to turn. But we don't really know why, do we? So it kind of left it. And I think that's why Sting probably stood there and went, oh, OK, well, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> and then we go off the air. And that's it. So I'm just left a little bit flat, really, from it. But it should have been a monumental thing that Scott Hall was turned. But after I watched it immediately and I kind of thought, I wonder if Monday night Hall's just going to go back with the black and red. It's all a bit of a, uh, you know, a ruse or something. Like that. You know, that's my my initial thoughts to the end of the match. Um, the match itself for a main event, very poor. You know, star power was there, you could say. You know, the outsiders. But no, it was the, the last two matches for the co-main event were why this wasn't a, uh, a stellar pay-per-view. Uh, Sting's face at the end where he looked utterly shocked. I'd like to think that's the face he pulled in the back when he was told a couple of weeks before this pay-per-view that creative genius Terry Belair Esquire wanted him to turn heel and join the NWO. <laughs> Just imagine if that had happened. For all the things we're going to talk about with the confusion, which doesn't need to be there with the NWO storyline, how utterly moot the last two years would have been if Sting goes and turns heel and joins the NWO. Why would we even bother watching? So thankfully, somebody actually stood up to the great one there. Well done, Bishop or whoever it was. But in the end, we got Hall turning, which we'll get to in a sec. I thought the match was okay for what it was, considering who was in there. I thought everybody, Nash included, was fairly game. Yes, two, at least two of the people in there are extremely limited. Sting Smash Mouth star is long and truly gone now. And Hall is probably the best worker of the bunch. But he say he's been, well, 
he's been busy recently. And I think he, there were times during this match where he showed that, where he would rather be somewhere else. It was okay. I did, I did think they were all trying in there, even Big Kev. But like I said at the start, what happened in the match was immaterial. I don't even think the titles changing hands mattered that much. It's just the main part of storyline advancement, which is Scott Hall joining the black and white. And I'm sure nobody will be too surprised to hear this. Uh, it was a heel turn, which Hall and Nash fought steadfastly against. Uh, Bischoff had to absolute tooth and nail to get them to agree to this one. They're still going to travel together, apparently, because, of course, they are. So as far as they're concerned, in their day-to-day lives, I don't think many things are going to change. I must be said, Scott Hall, but by the end of the month, was actually in rehab. So you don't even get a follow-up on this supposedly monumental turn, him turning on his best friend and joining forces with Hogan. He turns up on Nitro the next day in a black and white shirt, waves to the crowd, then he disappears again. I don't think we're going to see him until early July, apparently. So it really was a turn for the sake of the term, because somebody's got to join the new NWO every month to keep the storyline going. Yeah. Let's say this was not a pay-per-view caliber match. Everybody in there, they did their best for what they had, but it was, it was flat. Nobody cared about the result. And these are the tag team championships, which people should be happy to see the outsiders lose, but they really weren't. And when your belts start to take a back seat to the plot, that's a concern. That the plot should be working alongside the championships. Championships are always a numero uno reason anybody joins a wrestling company. And if they're just props for... I'm not going to call it soap opera stuff. You don't see that too much on this channel, but your pure storyline, then that's a worry. And this was a flat end to Slambury 1998, which, Bob, you're going to give your final thoughts on and give us a score out of 10 for. Well, I uh, I really wanted to enjoy the show, and the crowd seemed like they also really wanted to enjoy the show. Unfortunately, in the grand scheme of things, and, and overall, it, it was pretty disappointing. Uh, there were a few bright spots, like the Malenko stuff, and then... Eddie and, and Dragon, but for a pay-per-view and for spending $30 or however much, uh, it just doesn't meet the entertainment level to really justify it. So I'm going to go like a 4 out of 10. Uh, it felt like something I should be watching free on television instead of something I should have paid for. Please. Yeah, along the same lines, really. I think it was a... It was, um kind of a, a set-up show. And I think the fact that Hogan appeared for, what, one minute and walked out says it all. He didn't even come back for the end of the main event to even, like, congratulate Hall, did he? And thank you for joining my troop and almost gloat or mock Nash. He didn't even bother to come back out and do that. So if he can't be bothered to, to, to play his part, I guess, would you really want to part with your money to watch the, this show? It was good and bad, mostly... I wouldn't say bad, probably indifferent, I think, is probably the word I would use to describe it, which has been commonplace probably at WCW for a little while. Uh, the NWO angle was probably what's the biggest issue because it was the big angle, and now it's just let's just shock for the sake of shock or turn for the sake of turn or someone new joins. And I think back in the day that was quite exciting when, you know, the NWO was beginning and they were, you know, they were building this, this organization to take over. You know, sort of what a year, two years later, it's not actually happened as such. It is probably the the prominent part of WCW, but it's also probably the biggest hindrance now. Um, but what can they do? They've put themselves where they are. Let's hope this 
red and white, black and white, sort of infighting is more entertaining maybe, and that'll be the next probably pay-per-view or two. Um, score rating out of 10. I'm going to be a bit jump. I'm going to give it a 5. I think there was enough. I think Guerrero um, and Dragon was a good match. I liked the Malenko stuff. It was, was the right way to do it. I think Finley and Benoit worked pretty hard out there to get our attention. So for that reason, I'll give it a 5. Yeah, I've tempered my opinions a bit due to uh, after my initial enthusiasm an hour or so ago. Talking about the last two matches, <laughs> breaking them down has annoyed me more than when I was watching them. I think it's because <laughs> I was I was expecting them to be drab, but now we've all three of us have discussed about why they were so drab. It's uh, you really do see the join. So yeah, so I'm, I've gone down a bit lower. I'm afraid five and a half. I'm going for. There is still stuff worth seeking out from this show. I really like the opener. I think that Guerrero v. Dragon was an excellent wrestling match and the Bowery death match was a fine Cliff's Notes version of an ECW-style brawl. All the Vince stuff was churlish and puerile. Took up pay-per-view time for something nobody wanted to see or was going to see. And the two main events, which just typify where WCW is at the moment, boring, dull, big names, being treated like big names backstage, meaning they get treated like big names out the front. Whether or not that is what people want to see. And let's face it, not is far more often than whether in this case. So yes, the mildest of mild recommendations all told. Good stuff here. I really hope that the undercard can keep delivering because they're going to have to. So Slambery 1998, I am awarding a score of 5.5 out of 10. We come out of Slamboree with a quick-fire one-hour episode in Providence, Rhode Island. The show opens with Eric in the ring. He is on top of a Harley and wearing a crown. He tells us it is so good to be king. When he looks back at the last 100 weeks, he says his TV record is 98-2. and His in-ring record is 2-0. and And as for the future, he wants a record better than Bill Goldberg's. He wants to chase the dream. He thanks us all for being here tonight, and after promos like that... So he should. We hear clips from Saturn about how Glacier needs to stop moaning about exclusive use of the cryonic kick, and now he is up against Psychosis. The sidekick is used as a setup for the DVD, and he wins with the rings. Piper is here. He wouldn't be a referee again for all the tea in China. He still thinks it was Savage who hit him yesterday, and he calls him out. He gets him. Piper isn't apologising because he's not that kind of guy. But then out of nowhere, he suddenly does know that it was Brett who hit him. So he changes the finish to a savage win. What? Brett does not take Carney to that, and I'm not sure I do either. Macho challenges him now, but Hogan wheezes down to stop it. They can have a lot more fun kicking their rear ends together. Bischoff shows up and says, The pay-per-view will be fine for us. We'll all have to wait. We hear from Dean from last night. Winning the belt from Jericho was not the end of his quest. It was only the beginning. Dad, this one's for you. Jericho then flips out backstage and calls this a conspiracy by WCW. Even the treasured Malenko picture gets smashed up. Damien v. Hoovy is the next match. They mess up the finish when Hoovy overshoots the 450. He then has to sheepishly drop a standing elbow to get the win. There must be something in the water as Gene is in for a ring for an interview far too early. He needs to wait for Goldberg for Glacier to finish. He doesn't have long. 89 or no. Gene is here then, talking to DDP. <laughs> now that makes a change. 
Pike does this because he does it for all the people who jack him up. His sights are now on the world heavyweight title. Hogan, do you get the picture? Let me connect the dots for you. The black and white are out for our main event interview, and Brett is with them. Hogan is the supreme power in the world of professional wrestling. Where I go, the greatness goes. And he brings out the latest family member, Scott Hall. And now it's decision time for Sting. He spits at Giant by way of an answer. Giant then beats him down, but Nash is here with club in hand. Intrigue, intrigue. We finish up for the month on Memorial Day in Evansville, Indiana, and we're back to three hours. We begin with a clip from Thunder in which Giant says he and Sting are fine and NWO all the way. Luger speaks up on Sting's behalf, but ends up being asked to partner Giant that night. Again, though, the WCW Lugie gives us the answer. The NWO Sting attack Luger later, because yes, we are still doing that. <sighs> Raven is here with the Riot Squad. He tells Mortis he will be his guide down Agony's bleak path, and his childhood friend Saturn, <laughs> Raven sure had a lot of childhood friends, needs to stand by him again. He even fires the flock to prove it. You wait 20 minutes for a match and then Mike Enos turns up. At least though he's being beaten up in short order by Finley. Glacier Saturn have their battle of the superkicks. Raven looks on but Hammer beats him up and people actually cheer. Saturn wins with a super... No he doesn't. He of course wins with a different move. The Death Valley Driver. Saturn blanks Raven on his way to the back. Giant has the mic. Nash is a yellow-bellied coward and the big fella wants him right now. We get a We Want Nash chant and it's answered. He's beaten down by Virgil, as I've written down here, because who cares, and Adams. But here come the Wolfpack, along with Luger. He is offered a shirt, <laughs> the one that Conan was wearing, yeah thanks, and he takes it. Luger is in the black and red. Jericho holds a sign above his head that reads, Conspiracy Victim. He easily beats El Dandy and then calls out Dylan. He has a list of Battle Royal participants with no Malenko on it. He wants to be reinstated as the Cruiserweight champ. JJ tells him there is no precedent to overrule it unless Jericho can find such a precedent. Conan versus Leparka now, Tequila Sunrise, and we're out. The former Mortis tells us he is dead, but Canyon has been born. He can get to Raven any time, as anyone. Here's Roddy. He tells Savage he has a serious problem, and brings out the Village People member. They exchange tense barbs together, but just as they begin to call, Brett comes out. He thinks that now is the time for Piper to tell Savage the whole scoop, and that of course sets Macho off. But Piper makes a deal. He and Macho will team at the bash, but if Savage is still sceptical afterwards, then they can sort it out. That match is on. Kidman vs. Hoovy is our next match, and this is high, high quality TV fare, which I highly recommend checking out. Very possibly the best TV match of the year, which Hoovy wins with the 450. Eddie hands over his match to a now overly enthusiastic Charvo. He and Dragon do some good stuff. He tries to cheat, but Eddie doesn't seem to approve this time. Charvo wins with the Tornado DBT. Eddie then tells his nephew to calm down. And of course, JJ makes a match between the two for the bash. Lenny Lane and Milenko open hour three. Lane again gets a lot of offense and looks okay, but the Cloverleaf gives Dean the victory. Goldberg is against some schmuck called Johnny Attitude, complete with crap impression of Mr. 18, sorry, Mr. 90 and 0. Benoit and Booker then have the first match of their best of seven series for a TV title shot. Finley watches on as Benoit wins an excellent match with the crossface. So we finish up with Giant and Sting versus Luger and Sting. 
Nobody learns anything from SummerSlam 94 because the fans just do not care about the Sting versus Sting exchanges. The real deal wins it with the death drop. The red and black come in and they offer Sting a t-shirt, not one Conan was already wearing this time. He takes it, but then he thinks, and thinks, and thinks, and says nothing. It is so good to be king. And as I ponder my future in this sport I love, I have to look back at the past. In fact, as I look back at the past hundred weeks, I realize that right now, my professional television record is 98 and 2. But that's not good enough because now that my professional wrestling in-ring record is 2 and 0, oh, I have to make a decision. Yes, I've defeated Larry Zabisco and now I have defeated Vince McMahon. But it is a bittersweet victory because while I wanted to do it in the ring, that just wasn't going to happen. I did what I could. I called the man out. I did what a man should do under the circumstances. Well, like I said, I did all I could do. And now, as I said, I have to look to the future. And what the future holds for Eric Bischoff is a record better than Bill Goldberg's. I am going to chase the dream. The dream that started for me last night. And I want to thank each and every one of you here tonight for being a part of one of the greatest nights in my life. Thank you all very, very much for being here tonight. You are witnessing and you have seen arrogance, cockiness run amok, and it was enough we even get our uh, our colleague here, the living legend, beside himself. Well, that was just outright lies. And we come back in with our discussion points for the month there are two big things to chat about before we close and there you would have heard uh, the hubris of mr eric bischoff uh, i really need to fill in the blanks for you there for the promo he cut on the one hour nitro the day after the pay-per-view there's lucky people in providence rhode island wwf country they get a one hour nitro with i think only three matches and opening up with eric bischoff sitting on a motorbike with a crown on his head telling us all how good it is to be king. Because his last 100 weeks of TV rating scores come out at 98 and 2. And his in-ring record is now 2 and 0. Oh. I really wouldn't draw attention to that one, Eric. So how on earth did we get here? As we said at the top of the show, Eric Bischoff challenged Vince McMahon to a match on Nitro. 
on the 11th. I don't know why either. Well, actually, I do know why. Because that was the day, as you might have seen on Raw, in which DX invaded the CNN headquarters, where Hunter Hearst Helmsley pretended that he couldn't read a trespassing prohibited sign. He's a clever cove, isn't he? So I presume that Vince Bischoff was quite hot. And that, given the couple of ratings defeats they've suffered over the last couple of weeks, he took out his frustrations the only way he now can, challenging Vince McMahon to a fight, which, of course, as you will have heard, quote-unquote, took place on pay-per-view. We're going to have to discuss that now. So, Bob, I'll come to you first. What do we, if we can possibly get into the guy's mind, what do we think that Eric Bischoff was trying to prove by offering out Vince McMahon for what I suppose was going to be a legitimate fight on pay-per-view? I have no, I, I, I'm really trying to figure out a way here. I'm thinking that he's insane. (laughs) Yes, good answer. (laughs) And he's just trying to get any kind of controversy or spark into his products maybe thinking that his product is kind of going a little stale considering they've been running the same angle for two and a half years with no actual conclusion to it. So maybe he's trying to put focus on a really known battle between himself and Vince McMahon and the WWF. But I kind of see it as being counterproductive here um, because, you know, coming out of Slamboree in that segment with, uh, you know, the forfeit and whatnot, as a viewer, I'm probably going to be inclined to go in and watch Raw tomorrow night because I want to know what Vince, if, if Vince McMahon even has something to say. So I don't know if he's really thinking this all the way through. You're putting so much focus on the WWF product and the owner that maybe people watching your own product are, are going to start thinking, well, what is Vince going to say? Is he going to address it? Oh, I, maybe I should tune in tomorrow. So I, for his the reasoning behind him doing it, uh, desperation, and he's probably insane. I can't argue with either of those. Pete, what could you add to that? How do I follow up from that? <laughs> um, I think for many years, I mean, as a, as, a, as a WWF fan originally, obviously, when I was, you know, a, a young man, should I say, when I managed to get some takes off my mate at school... I never knew WCW existed really until some of those tapes came out in uh, is it Woolworths back in the day? Well, I think you probably might remember those days as well. Oh yes, oh, and I suddenly found this other other company that was also an American wrestling company, but they didn't intertwine whatsoever. They were very much you know we are we are what we are and we focus on what we are and so do they. And there were no it was, obviously kayfabe was was real and we didn't talk about the other people. It was like, naughty to do so, wasn't it? Now Eric Bischoff seems to think just when potentially the WWF is on a little bit of a crest of of something special, maybe, is to start talking about Vince McMahon and offering out for fights. And I think you made a, a fantastic point, Bob, about, yeah, okay, I now want to watch Raw. Is Vince going to react? You know? So you basically just bigged up the other company's uh, show to see what's going to happen. You're making someone do so. I just thought that was so strange. I mean, I think you're right. The the, the attack by WF on WCW was a bit cooler, I suppose, in terms of DX. It looked a bit more, okay, it was a bit, bit hammy, wasn't it, and a bit fake, but it seemed like it was a little bit of a, 
a thing they would do is do Generation X and go out and do this all pre-taped and all that sort of thing. But to come out on your one-hour Nitro, you know, one hour and spend, what, ten minutes to stood there, basically, there I'd be too rude, Rory, with me dick in my hand, basically going, come on, Vince, take me on. You know, I want, I want to fight you, I want to beat you up. What, what, it's just ego running wild, to give it, you know, one of the, uh, the classic phrases. It's just... It was crazy. And did he ever really think that Vince was going to go, yeah, go on then, I'll come on for your pay-per-view and pop your pay-per-view rating um, and have a match with you? So I don't know who who signed it off, whether Eric just thought, oh, I'm so pissed off, I'm going to go out and do this, sod it, I don't care what he says, and just get on with it. But I'm guessing when he got into the back or as it as it rolled on, even during the, the pay-per-view just review, there were shots of this white limo. Could Vince be in the limo, you know? It was never, ever going to show up. You know, Vince is too cute a businessman, too cute or whatever. But also Vince is focused on his own company. He's gone through a really poor time. You know, 98 and 2 has been highlighted. Why would Vince give a, give a toss about what Eric Bischoff is up to? He's focusing on his company and his promotion, which currently is getting hotter and hotter and hotter and will only continue to do so if Bischoff keeps doing what he's doing. So it's a sign of absolute madness. That's all I can say. Pete, it's already been discussed over the last two weeks, and we all know the answer to this, about whether or not Vince was going to show up. As you've rightly said, he was never going to. So I'm going to ask you, as a comeback, a slightly different question. Yeah. Do we think that Bischoff and WCW wanted him to show up? I'd like to think they would want him to, um, just to maybe have that that intrigue and that, you know, they can declare, you know, the, the proper start to to the wars, as it were, the Monday Night Wars. Maybe would have been this would could have been the the beginning of it, you know, and we finally get to see the two the two I guess you could say biggest names in terms of currently in American wrestling outside of the ring itself, one on one, but. I don't know. It's a very hard question to ask because did anybody really think it was going to happen? I guess they must have thought um, maybe Vince might have gone, mm, okay, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm into this. Or maybe he would come back and he would fire off on Raw with a big promo and it'd be a big back and forth, if, if that makes sense, and keep it going. But of course, as we know, that never happened. You know, I think Vince made a statement, didn't he, in the end? A press release. Is that right? I think he made a press release. Just, you know, yep. it was, it was, that was it. There was no, he didn't address it on Raw, did he? I, 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 that right led to believe he didn't, he didn't really come out on the microphone and nope. give Bischoff any credence, any, anything at all. So he played it very smart and very wise. And I think they probably thought if, if they could antagonize Vince enough, he would have done. But Eric didn't do that enough, I didn't think. He could have got really personal, couldn't he? could have really laid in the, the low blows and really got to the to the nitty gritty with Vince. But he didn't. He just kind of grandstanded and said, look, I want to fight with you. You know, Vince was like, well, no thanks. Cheers, I'm, I'm not interested. And that was it, wasn't it? It was very much shot down. But WCW kept playing off on the fact that Vince might rock up with this limousine and strut out and have a match. It was never going to happen. So I just, I mean, did you agree? Would that be fair, fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think they wanted it to. I have no idea what they thought was going to happen when it did. And yes, oh yes, Bischoff's a black belt in karate, da de da. But is he really going to try and legitimately stick one on Vince McMahon? And why am I even discussing this? It's just so stupid for goodness' sake. 
<laughs> I thought Vince's response in the press release was brilliant. I'm going to translate it here. It basically said, uh, yeah, mate, that's very nice, your challenge and everything, but I've kind of got a company to run. You know, the company which is beating you at the moment. But as you mentioned it, I'll tell you what. If it's 4am on a Saturday morning and you cut in front of me in the kebab shop line, then you're going to see it. All right. So watch your step. That's basically <laughs> what Ben said. And I thought it was great. He was never going to lower himself to this. We're going all the way. But this is like a throwback to the early oh, the early days of Night Show where Bischoff's giving away results. And he's calling it Monday Night and calling the World Winding Federation and all of that. And Vince tries not to hit back and he tries and he's been wound up and then he ends up reading Bishop's letters on air. We get the Nacho Man and the Hoxter and Scheme Gene and Ted and all of that. And we have the match and the, the Fail Turner Classic on the WrestleMania 12 free for all. And it all gets very ugly and all very childish. And that's what's happening again. Eric Bischoff is clearly rattled here. And perhaps even more than his challenge to Vince, which was idiotic, and you guys have already summed it up perfectly. We don't need to go any deeper on that. It's purely stupid, made him look incredibly juvenile. Even more than that, I thought the speech he gave on the Urban Nitro after the pay-per-view was really telling. He came across as quite a desperate man to me. When he's there saying, oh, yes, look at my TV ratings. Yes, last 100 weeks, 98 and 2. And I was like, okay. Well, not long ago, pal, it was 83 and 0. If somebody comes up to me and says that 83 and 0 in anything, I notice the 83. If somebody says to me they're 98 and 2 in anything, I notice the 2. I'm like, well, hang on. Why aren't you 100 and 0? You were 83 and 0 not long ago. Where's that 2 come from? And I bet he wouldn't be able to give you an answer. Well, he wouldn't be able to give you an honest answer anyway. And... He's worried. I really don't think he thought this day would come. I honestly thought he could ride the tails of this until WWF were ground into dust and out of business. I don't know this is the WCW show, but Vince McMahon, he's he's a proud man. The World Wrestling Federation is his family business. Bequeathed to him. Okay, he bought it, but never mind. <laughs> Bequeathed to him by by his father and his father's father. Eric Bischoff locked into this. He was a C-grade announcer five years ago. He took a shot when Bill Watts split, and he somehow got the big gig. Uh, he's a he's a salesman from Minneapolis. This isn't in his blood. Yes, he wants to win at all costs. Of course, he does. Uh, this isn't this isn't the marketplace. This isn't the boardroom. This is. This is, and Vince, even Vince himself might not agree with this, but this is pro wrestling, brother. Vince is not going to give this up without a fight. And he has, belatedly you might say, but in the last six months, made wholesale changes to his product. Just look at the ratings right at the beginning of the show. WCW are lucky to get dead heat these days. And Bischoff is worried. He's being held back. He will tell you he's being held back by Turner's standards and practices. Now, WCW shows now are rated PG. WWFs, they're rated 14. You know, they are going for that 14 to 34 demographic and they are flocking to the product. Whereas WCW are still having to try to be reasonably family orientated. And it's 1998, not 1988 anymore. People want something different. The Fed are giving it to them. And either Bischoff doesn't want to or he can't. Whichever one of the two it is, he is being passed by. And he can ride as many Harleys, wear as many crowns as he likes, tell us that he's number one. If you are number one, 
you don't even pay any attention to number two. It's just accepted. If you're the best, we know you're the best. If you feel you need to tell us, then that suggests insecurity and worry. And looking at the raw numbers, pun intended, they have every reason to be so. And Luger does a two-sweet and stands to the side. Wait, Conan's got a t-shirt. And he just tossed it to Kevin Nash. Look at Sting backing away. I think Nash has a proposition. I'm sure he does. Will Sting wear the red and the black? What do you think, guys? I, 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 I have no. I don't know. I think he will. That, Luger's did it. He's going to do it. Luger thinks so. You can just tell by the look on Luger's face. There's no way to call it. You only have to just stand back. Sting told, told me a lot when he backed out of the ring. I don't know if it was a, a distrust. He's going to go. He's going back to the ring. He seemed reluctant for a split second, but now he's headed back up to the apron. And listen, I think the people want him to. If he wasn't going to, he'd leave. He'd be gone. Something's going through his mind right now. He's got a decision to make. His best friend is on the other side. What does Sting do? Should I or shouldn't I? He's going to the ring. He's going to do it. The shirt is out. He's going to do it. He's looking at everyone. Look at the face of Sting. He's shopping. He's looking around. He's at a crossroads in his life. If you feel you should, do it. Do it. It's decision time. He looks at Luger. Still no emotion. And before we wrap for this month, we will look at the latest effort being made by Bischoff and Creative, and that is the official split of the New World Order. We now have two factions. The Wolf Pack, led by Kevin Nash, and the Originals, or NWO Hollywood, in which Mr. Hulk Hogan is at the helm. Of course he is. Okay, at time of recording, I think I've got this right. The Wolf Pack, the black and red, are made up of Kevin Nash, Randy Savage, Conan, <laughs> Kurt Hennig, and not Sting, which we'll get to in a second. Is, is that everybody, guys? I think, is there anybody else in the black and red yet, officially? Next, Luger. Luger is, of course, Luger, there. Yeah. yeah, we talked that earlier. Yeah, I do mean to mention Luger. We'll get to that in a sec. And, and Lexi Boy. God, he's been such a non-entity for the last year. I almost forgot him. And... To keep it simple, the black and white is everybody else, <laughs> including the inexplicably turned Giant and Scott Hall, which we'll get to in a sec. I was going to make an important point about this, but Bob, you beat me to it in the pay-per-view review, but we'll jump on this one. You put it perfectly about 20 minutes ago. You said the NWO is bad. Right. As far as I can tell, whether they're black and red, whether they're black and white, whether we're meant to cheer them, whether they're meant to boo them, their goal, is it not, is to take over WCW. That's what I believe the NWO were formed for two years ago. And the way they've been arguing amongst themselves over the last four months, saying you took your eye off the ball and you don't, you're not up to the cause or whatever, that still suggests to me that that is still why the NWO exists for with our kayfabe hats on. So, Bob, I'll come to you to expand on that excellent point you made earlier. Why should I cheer the likes of Kevin Nash, Randy Savage, Lex Luger, Lex Luger, who fought against them for two years, lest we forget, when their goals are to try to kill World Championship Wrestling, who we're meant to be supporting? Well, the obvious answer is because red is better than white. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's a brighter color, so you're going you're gonna to enjoy it more. No, I don't know. I, I really, 
I mean, what is, I don't even know, I don't understand this direction. Is it just because one night Kevin Nash comes out with a red t-shirt and says, hey, we're red and red and black now, so you like us? And everybody's like, oh, okay. Like, is that, is that the understanding here? I don't, I don't, I don't know. If I'm, if I'm a WCW fan, if I ever see the letters NWO, if you're a diehard WCW fan, there's no reason to get behind it. There's no reason for a guy like Lex Luger to justifiably go to the NWO. I mean, his life has been tormented for the last, again, two years. Randy Savage. I don't know why Randy Savage would ever be in the NWO. I don't know why he was in the black and white with Hogan, considering their issues like at Halloween Havoc 96 and whatnot. So they seem to just ignore any storylines that they accidentally created. They, they like to ignore any developments and they just, they basically just put something in their hand, throw it against the wall and then whatever one doesn't slide to the ground first, they go with. So I don't know. I, I really, I, I don't, is it's literally just people saying, Hey, here's Conan like him now. Okay. Why? You know, this is a guy that almost ended Ray Mysterio's career with a knee injury. Yep. But now because he has a red t-shirt, and Kevin Ash said, "Hey, like him, we like him now." And like you've mentioned, their whole the whole purpose of the New World Order is to end WCW. So we're basically cheering. We've been tricked into cheering people to end the company that we love. They're the smartest heels in the history of professional wrestling. Oh, they they they're too smart for their own good, if you ask me. Uh, Pete, yeah. any more on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I always hark back to the, the ill-fated NWO sold-out pay-per-view that I had the, the pleasure to be a part of uh, I'm amazed. on this that, very... That, that, was your, that was your first appearance. On How on earth did you come... Why, how and why did you come back I, up? I, I don't know how I survived the whole <laughs> ordeal, if I'm honest, but still, I think... The, uh, ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate rite of passage there. I think. If you could survive yeah, that, you could survive anything. The Miss NWO competition being at the <laughs> forefront. Oh, dear. Um, Carry on quickly, but, mate. But, but at that point... <laughs> at that point... It was all about the battle lines being drawn between WCW and NWO. You had a clear, you know, DDP, Sting, um, Luger at that point, etc. were uh, even Flair, but all the Flair was mucking about with something else at the time, um, were up against the NWO. They were taking over, weren't they? They were going to take over WCW. Now, I think what's happening now is that's just literally just been forgotten. We've now got the NWO and... I think what they're trying to do is make the NWO sort of storyline now sort of almost cool because you've had Hall and Nash are very much sort of, they are quite, I guess you, I don't think they're particularly that cool, but they are these characters that the crowd are very into, aren't they? Particularly Hall probably on the mic, et cetera. And they're these, you know, they've come from WWF at that point now where they are now and they're trying to get two areas. So it's now NWO versus NWO. WCW now doesn't really count because who is on WCW's team now? Sting? Well, Sting's not been on anybody's team for, what, two years? He's been his own man, hasn't he? He's been the crow. He's been the guy who's come down and, and beaten up people and then just walked away when someone's tried to connect with him. Even now, he's stood at the end of the ring on the last night of the month and we don't know what he's going to do again. You know, what's going to happen to him? And as you, you said quite rightly, if he then goes to NWO, all that whole thing with Hogan and Sting back then means nothing. And it links back into Bischoff's sort of attempt to fight McMahon 
I just think the ideas are just obviously wearing thin. The lines have been muddied. They don't quite know what the original story was, was uh, an invading faction, wasn't it? It was when Hall and Nash invaded WCW. Hogan came in as the mystery man and they were going to take over WCW. That isn't happening anymore. I think NWO, in effect, do control WCW, but it's just never really been announced that WCW has been taken over because Eric Bischoff is the... Is the, is, the, is the king, isn't he? Or so he says. I think it's already happened. We just didn't know, did we? And now we're being asked to cheer on, as I think Bob's and you've always said as well, people like Conan and Luger, who fought tooth and nail against these guys, now is running around the ring with a red and white T-shirt, uh, sorry, red and black T-shirt, like he's just won the lottery. And you're like, what's happened? What's going on? You know, and the, the, the whole turn, it's just, you know, and, and the people in there, Brian Adams, you know, as a, like an enforcer, Vincent, you know, um, I can't wait to see Scott Steiner sort of do his thing. I think that's going to be quite interesting in black and white. But where does this all lead now? You know, because it's clearly, you're looking at Goldberg is going to be eventually a world title challenger. You mentioned the Warrior earlier on. God help us all is coming in. That's going to be against Hogan. So it's clearly <laughs> not going to be main event black and white versus black and red. It's going to be a mid-card feud isn't it I think it's not going to be a main event feud as in Hogan against Nash uh, straight away anyway it's going to be sort of maybe Hall and Nash will eventually you know maybe have a match or you know Luger and and Nash will take on the giant again it's just it's just so muddy and so unclear and I think this is the issue they've got at the moment I think we go back to WF Vince has got a clear path now he's found something that's clicked he's running with it Bischoff, as Bob said, is throwing stuff all over the place and seeing what he's sticking, and it's so scattergun. It, it's it, it's it's worrying. For one, it's worrying times a little bit. Unless they can pull something out of the fire, or is is someone like Goldberg or even mentioned DDP going to be the savior and and bring WCW or you know take the NWO out of the equation? You know, write off this storyline and then go with something different. But it's uh, it's very unclear times and a bit worrying, I think, for WCW. I just don't think they know what they want to do with this one. On the first show of this year for WCW, after the sold out 98 pay-per-view, when they first started really teasing uh, dissension with the NWO, primarily between Hogan and Savage, I said on this very program that I thought it was interesting and they were finally doing something with the NWO, which, which, just, which wasn't just them riding roughshod over the entire rest of, rest of the roster no, Sting has defeated Hogan at Starcade, and now they've got to try and regroup, pick themselves up, and begin the NWO Mark II, which was fine. As I said before, Starcade was never going to be the end of the New World Order angle. It might well have been the beginning of the end, but it was never going to finish there and then, not even in anybody's, once again, wildest dreams. As we've already discussed, wildest dreams in pro wrestling, they just don't come true. But we've got this. Four months later. And the thing that really baffles me is just how rushed it all seems. I mean, you've alluded to it there. There was a match going on on Nitro. And then all of a sudden, we just see Kevin Nash coming through the crowd uh, in a, a weak throwback to what happened two years ago with Conan. Fucking Conan, for God's sake. Who cares? In red and black T-shirts saying, oh, here we are now. Yep, uh, NWO, black and red, the Wolfpack. Hogan, let's have a fight. I was like, okay. Uh, great. And I should care about you now because 
because you're slightly, you know, you have slightly cooler lines than Hogan. And Savage is ever so slightly more exciting than, I don't know, Ed Leslie or somebody these days. That's why I should automatically care about you. No, if I'm just a, a common or garden casual fan, I don't care how many of their slogans I chant along with. I'm going to think, yeah, your ultimate goal is to kill WCW, isn't it? No, you're, you're the nice bad guys. And how can anybody really support that? I think if anybody breaks down this storyline, they'll see it doesn't stand up to any real scrutiny. I mean, we haven't really had to go deep to look at that. And when, when, once people, as I say, they get past the new T-shirts, they get past the cool sayings, they'll think that, hang on a minute, we're cheering people who want to kayfabe kill the company. No, we shouldn't be getting behind that. We should be getting behind the likes of DDP and staying behind the likes of Sting if he stays in WCW. Or Lex Luger. The Lex Luger who inexplicably, I've used that word a lot today, haven't I? I use that a lot on WCW shows every month. <laughs> inexplicably, which has offered a red and black shirt, the one that Conan had been wearing, by the way. Gee, no thanks. And he just puts it on and he joins them for no real reason. The people who've been trying to destroy his company have beaten him down more times than you care to remember over the last two years. Yeah, I'll join these guys because, oh, why the hell not? It's, it's just, for somebody who, Eric Bischoff, who paid so much attention to getting the first NWO of the outsider slash NWO thing right in the summer of, of 96, weeks after weeks after uh, of compelling programming. And as uh, uh, the boy Bamba rightly said, when it became anything other than Hall, Nash and Hogan, maybe six, it, the, the wheels started to come off then. And that was back in what, September 96? And here we are now because the NWO, they're still selling T-shirts. People are still hollering and chanting and enjoying the survey. So they're going to keep it going and logic be damned. And that is such a mistake. I want to support WCW. I want to support DDP. I want to support Sting, who I hope doesn't, they don't have joined the red and black. I'm skeptical. I really hope he doesn't. I'm not sure I want to cheer Warrior wherever he ends up, but uh, we'll cross that bridge <laughs> when we come to it, if we must. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather swim than cross it, but there you go. Even if there are sharks in there. Yes, it's, a storyline which is playing off the very real tension backstage between Hogan and Nash. Yeah, I get it. But I get that. You guys get that. Listeners to the show get that. Readers of the Pro Wrestling Torch and the Wrestling Observer get that. Not many other people do. The people who just support WCW support WCW. They don't care about... no. Hogan and Nash looking at each other a bit a bit funny in the back. They just want to see the good guys win. I just think about it now. Say, for example, I don't know how long this is going to go on, but say, I don't know, it's only a few months and we have a War Games match and the Red and Black win against uh, Hollywood. What happens then? The next day on Nitro, do the Red and Black officially go heel again because they're the NWO who are going to kill WCW and Hogan sidles off to make another... No, straight to video movie it's, it's they haven't thought about it the letters nwo they do sell themselves to a great degree but the storyline's got to be there and if they really are going to keep this going they have to know what the end game is <sighs> and i don't think they do 
WCW looked like complete and utter schmucks in this. I feared it after Starcade, and it's coming to fruition now. Why would anybody even be in WCW? If the NWO Black and Red are going to invite anybody, even some of their sworn enemies, if the Giant is going to sidle up to Hogan, just for the hell of it again, <laughs> after he was kicked out unceremoniously at the end of 96, he just shows up wearing a black and white shirt as if nothing ever happened. If that's going to happen, then it, again, pure kayfabe hat, I know, but let's rock the storyline here. I'd do it. Everybody would do it. And I just don't know what the final end is going to be here. I don't think Bischoff does. I almost get the impression it's all about merchandise and all about ratings for him. But if you're not telling the stories, which your competition really are telling, mm. you know, then you're in trouble. Yeah, Bob, anymore? Well, I just want to point out that from a kayfabe part for WCW, this is the ideal situation of having them split into two different parts. Because instead of having one monster group of NWO, you arguably have two weaker versions of it. So if Luger doesn't jump and, you know, and other WCW stars don't jump, WCW would realistically and logically stay stronger than both of those groups. However, if you then go into one of the weaker of the two NWO groups, you're still you're almost like on the same level field. So when it's black and red and Luger jumps, you're basically just leveling it, I guess, in terms of, st of star power between black and white and WCW. But if Luger stays in WCW, you're not giving black and red any numbers. So they would have like four. While NWO black and white, you know, sure they have Hogan, Giant, and Hall. But after that, it's like Vincent. So how strong are you really there? I don't know. You know, Scott Norton's always in, like, Japan, so he's always about, you know, millions of miles away. So kayfabe-wise and, and wrestling logic-wise, I don't know why any WCW wrestler would want to jump into either one of the NW groups at this time. I could understand when it was one group because now you're like, oh, well, I'm overwhelmed. You know, Virta's going to get killed every week. So, yeah, I'll, I'll jump shit. But now that they split off into two, I might want to stay where I'm at and and then we can maybe get rid of the invasion. But maybe I'm just making too much sense. No, I, I, I think you've explained that really well. My own, the only, my only comeback on that is that even more so than it was in, say, or at least the repeat of how it was in SummerSlam, uh, SummerSlam, <laughs> SummerSlam on the brain, and in the summer of 1996, that it's not cool to not be in the NWO. And especially as you've got really super cool Kevin Nash there now, with his pop culture references and his shades. Don't you want to be a part of that rather than hoary old, mm, hoary old Southern WCW? Don't you want to be where the cool kids play as a wrestler? Uh, uh, Pete, just, just to, to try to bring her, bring her closer to this baffling storyline. Well, well I was just, I was just thinking, you've, Bob said there, you've got now got the two sort of NWO lights as it were now. I don't see why they couldn't then now bring WCW back into play now because you've got I mean Bret Hart shouldn't be in the NWO he's probably not he's just kind of aligned isn't he a little bit with Hogan so Bret could be WCW Goldberg's WCW DDP's WCW Sting's WCW who's to say someone like Jericho Benoit Booker T and WCW you've got five six top notch guys there haven't you and you could probably pick three or four from black and white who are fairly top notch and you've got probably three or four in the red side, so you've got the opportunity there to almost have an inter 
interpromotional war that would sort of reinvigorate the whole place to get that whole original point of an invasion. Or you don't go NWO black and white, you go with the wolf pack. Don't call it the NWO, call it the wolf pack. Call it something different. It's a splinter a group, as it were. But I think you mentioned earlier on the merchandise is the key, isn't it? It's now a black and red T-shirt, so it's going to sell a lot of merchandise. And um, I think they're just missing a trick, aren't they? There's, there's enough. I mean, Flair is still out there, isn't he, at some point? I'm guessing he will eventually maybe make a return. If he doesn't, you know, fair enough. But there's enough good WCW guys out there who can clearly fight for the company and try and, and take it back and that's a great storyline that people would get behind as they did originally when nwa came in it was the commentators were under attack weren't they were under we're under under the koshi we're being taken over it was it was why you tuned in every week to see what was going to happen next now it's just who's swapping t-shirts that's it isn't it really we're just seeing who who's in who's out that's it it's moving on so it is very baffling i mean next month's going to be interesting and moving forward so we'll have to we're all going to have to reconvene up when we see what happens. We will indeed. This is a battle that WCW should win. But with the formation of the NWR Wolfpack, I think it's a battle that nobody, that no fans really want WCW to win. And that, for me, is a problem. And Rory, then, I just have, I have one thing for you. I don't yeah, want yeah, to, I mean, go I ahead, to cut you off. No, no, you go ahead. So, well, your comment there about uh, you know being cool in the NWO and whatnot. Yes. Okay. So if let's say like I'm Lex Luger, okay. And let's say in four months at fall, probably they were to have a war games match with, you know, like a stipulation of hell, oh, Hey, the losing group or whatever, you know, disbands like you, like you mentioned. Yes. I think I would rather be in a position to have a job with six figures or whatever it is for a substantial long time than potentially only be cool for four months. I guess you. <laughs> you know what I mean. So that's fair enough. That that's the argument that I could come back with. That so like you you run the risk of oh I'm going to be out of a job in four months if we lose this match. What the hell was I thinking? Comparatively to I'm going to have be on our, like the stronger team as noted there with so many different guys. And by the way, I totally I already forgot about Brad Hart. We just talked about him 40 minutes ago. I already forgot he was in there. So that should speak volumes for him. But yeah, I mean that that's that would be my reasoning if I was Lex Luger. I'm going to stick where I'm at, maybe write out my contract, get some more money, then be like, I'm going to jump ship and then maybe not have a job in less than a year or whatever the case be. So that that's just my rebuttal, I guess, to that. Nope, very well said. It's interesting. I'll give them that. that uh, they're trying something to counteract against what the WWF are doing, but I'm really not sure what this is, whether this is the way to do it. And the worst thing is, it's only just begun, and we've got the warrior knocking on the door soon as well, and possibly Sid. <laughs> I'm shaking. I'm shaking my desk right now in anticipation. Oh dear! Why on earth did I decide to be the WCW specialist for this year? But <laughs> I made my bed. I've got to lie in it, and that is definitely the place where I want to finish this particular show this month. I would like to thank Bob Collins. Bob, fantastic contributions as ever, my friend. Thanks for having me, Rory. Anytime, and Pete Kimber, brilliant stuff. Thanks for having me back. It's been been great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. And the ice cream man? Uh, he, well, he made a few edges on the way. I was like, oh, God. Uh, he, he was good, though. Yeah, I recommend him. <laughs> we'll but be round. Not, yeah. <laughs> uh, Pete, where can people find you? On the, on the Twitters and uh, anything you want to prog? Go right ahead. Uh, 
I'm on Twitter at Peekimber1. Um, unfortunately, my, my podcast has kind of ceased to exist at the moment. It's in a bit of a hiatus, so I won't plug in that. Um, but I can be found on Twitter, my various sort of bits of musings about wrestling and Arsenal Football Club, sorry to say, um, are on there. So check it out. We will. Bob, you've got lots going on. Tell us what you've got. Yeah, on Twitter, on Twitter you can find me at uh, YoBobbyBoy89. Still haven't changed that. I guess I won't. Uh, I've had about eight years. I wanted to change, but I haven't. Uh, wrestling-related stuff, I mean, WrestlingRecaps.com. I have an ungodly amount of wrestling reviews, whether they're myself or other people have written them. And then uh, IcoPod, which you can find at IcoPod.Podpeen.com, uh, where you can just search on iTunes at IcoPod, I-C-O-P-O-D. Where myself and Austin Skinner, we have uh, started the journey of watching Raws, starting with the first one in 93. We have survived so far to King of the Ring 93. We haven't uh, bashed our heads against the wall or anything. And we've incorporated a couple of live watches where we just, I guess, just shoot the shit and uh, not really watch it. We just talk about wrestling and uh, general fun there. So, um yeah, we just have a fun time with it, and I hope people, anybody that listens to it enjoys it as well. Well, you've made it to a good show there, King of the Ring 93. That's a, that's a pretty damn fine pay-per-view. You've got three Brett great performances there. Got a stunning match against uh, Perfect, which is one of my all-time favourites. Yeah, well... Art Donovan on the call, is it Art Donovan on the call? That's 94. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, well, I guess, I, I mean, we haven't released it yet. We're, we're still, like, in May. Right. We haven't, in terms of release of what, we haven't even gotten to May yet, but we've recorded oh, right. the King of the Ring. And uh, I guess you could say, like, we, we were kind of not gung-ho about the Bret Hart performances, oddly enough. Because they are, like, promoted, you know, or talked about highly. And I even talked about them highly and then having watched them again. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it really holds up very well if you are trying to discuss it and review it, I guess. But The spirit of Bob Bamba looms large on this show. <laughs> 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 we are... The Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And we can be found on the Facebooks at Wrestling 20 Years and at Wrestling 20 YRS. We try to bring as much for you as we possibly can on there. Uh, yesterday, we're recording this on uh, on Sunday, the 3rd of June. Uh, yesterday, I hosted a live watch of Halloween Havoc 1992. And I held another vote, randomly selected pay-per-view. Uh, this time next month, we will be looking at SummerSlam 89. Do follow us on Twitter for all sorts of discussions about wrestling, both new and old. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, please do so on there. And if you would like to join us on any future shows, we are always looking for new people. Drop us a line and we will do the rest. We would be very grateful indeed if you could sponsor us, support us on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. Only $5 a month. It pays for our subscriptions to The Torch, to The Observer, keeps one or two other overheads, keeps the wall from the door, and ensures that we can bring three shows to you each and every month. It truly is our pleasure to do this stuff, but we cannot do it without you. We'd like to thank you for your support. And anything that you can send our way, I promise you, is massively, massively appreciated. This was Volume 2 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, looking at Slamboree. Volume 1 is our WWF show, Over the Edge 98. And completing the pay-per-view triumvirate, Volume 3, ECW, Wrestlepalooza. But for now, we're out of time. We've got to go.